thought I was supposed to be watching a show. What happened? Just kidding. Good afternoon, everybody. It's Chris here from the Wistop Cafe in Mira, Alberta. And I'm not at the Wistop Cafe in Mira, Alberta. And tonight I am uh, doing this live stream on behalf of the Alberta Prosperity Project, of which I am still involved with. Uh, before we get going, I just want to touch a little bit on that very, very quickly because we have a awesome guest and he's got a lot of really good things to say. Um, I have received some questions over the last little while, specifically at my cafe, about the Alberta Prosperity Project. Where's the Alberta Prosperity Project? What are they doing? Are they still relevant? Have they imploded? Are they doing anything? And I'll answer all those in a, in a, in a I'll be brief. No, I won't. I'm never brief. I never shut up. So yes, the Alberta Prosperity Project is still around. We're still doing stuff. I still uh, advocate for what they're what they're doing. Uh, I am 100% on board with their purpose in this province of Alberta, um, and they are still relevant. 100%. As a matter of fact, it is my opinion that the Alberta Prosperity Project is the most relevant thing in Alberta right now, even though we have an election coming up. And the reason I say that is because. Politics is politics, and politicians do politician thing, and governments change or come and governments go. But when the people stand up and do something together, like what the Alberta Prosperity Project is doing, that makes some serious, lasting changes. Uh, so that's why I say, yes, the Alberta Prosperity Project is still relevant. Uh, they are still important, and they are doing things, although uh, it's been a little quiet lately due to the election because everybody's busy with that. So you can expect to see more in the coming weeks. And uh, we're going to hit the ground running uh, after election, and, and it's going to be awesome. So anyway, tonight's webinar um, is titled 15-Minute Cities and the Just Transition Agenda with our guest, Leighton Gray. Now, uh, Leighton provided a brief biography that I'm going to read for you. And it's not very brief. And he said I could kind of pick and choose what I want to uh, mention in there. But I'm going to I'm going to tell you all of the stuff that he put in his uh, intro because I didn't know a lot of these things and I found it quite interesting. So ready? Here we go. So Leighton Gray, starting from the very beginning, member of the Carry the Kettle Band uh, in Saskatchewan, Raised in Northwest Edmonton community of Kensington, recipient of the Alexander Rutherford Scholarship, 82-85, recipient of the ACAC Athletic Scholarship for Hockey, 1985-87, recipient of the Louise McKinney Academic Scholarship uh, to 2% GPA in university study, 87-89, recipient of the William Irvine Essay Prize in Ethics, 1989. Attended the University of Alberta from 1985 to 1992, earning degrees with distinction in arts, uh, English and Literature, and Law. Awarded the Government of Canada Legal Studies for Aboriginal People Scholarship from 89 to 92. Admitted to the Alberta Bar in 1993, to the Saskatchewan Bar in 2004, and to the BC Bar in 2011. Served on the Board of Governors for Portage College, 2007 to 2011. In 2009, was appointed Queen's Counsel, and at the time was the youngest lawyer in Alberta to receive the title Learned in Law. Founded Lakeland Sports and Learning Academy in 2012. Started his own law practice in northeastern Alberta in 1995 and has since grown into a firm of 12 lawyers in Cold Lake, Edmonton, and Calgary. That firm is now known as Grey Woke Spencer LLP, of which Leighton is the senior managing partner and head of the civil litigation section. Uh, he's the Northeast Director for the Alberta Civil Trial Lawyers Association since 1998. 
recipient of the Culture, Cultural, Culture Alberta Stars of Alberta Volunteer Award, recipient of the 2005 Legal Aid Society Access to Justice Award for Career Pro Bono Services to Albertans. Received <laughs> this, it keeps going. Received the Gary J. Big Humanitarian Award from the ACTLA in 2019 for work done on behalf of Indigenous people of Alberta. Senior Fellow for the Conservative Think Tank, the Frontier Centre for Public Policy, publishing many scholarly articles on politics, history, philosophy, religion, and law. Survived a cancel culture attack in 2020, orchestrated by the NDP government and the CBC. Interesting. They're orchestrating something else right now that's coming up, I believe, tomorrow. Maybe we'll touch on that. Uh, anyways, this was based on his conservative views, of course. Uh, majority owner of the Drayton Valley Thunder Junior A Hockey Club. Appointed to noble title. This is interesting. And I'm going to ask Leighton to, to explain this. Appointed to noble title of Count von Falkenstein in December of 2021. Since 2020, has acted as lead counsel in several high-profile constitutional cases, including James Coates and Grace Life Church, Timothy Stevens and his church in Calgary, the lockdown challenge involving Dr. Dina Hinshaw that we mention often in our live streams, uh, that is set for hearing in February, uh, many vaccine mandate cases involving Canadian uh, National Railway, Canadian Pacific Railway, Alberta Health Services, the University of Winnipeg, University of Alberta, Mount Royal University, the Salvation Army, BDC and others, a proud Albertan Canadian conservative and tireless advocate for restoration and rehabilitation of the civil liberties guaranteed to all of us by God and the rule of law in that order as enshrined under the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. In March 2022, uh, Leighton created the Grey Matter podcast, which has now over 100 episodes of which I've done one with him. Uh, the broadcast rights to the show have recently been sold to Canada's largest Christian network, the Miracle Channel. Uh, his, he has a book of 36 essays entitled Leftists, Lies, Laws, and Liberties, and it will be released later this year. So, that was a lot, but uh, here he is, the man with a biography and intro longer than my CV... Uh, Mr. Leighton Gray, thanks, Leighton, for joining us uh, for the 15-Minute Cities and Just Transition Agenda chat with the Alberta Prosperity Project. Well, it's my pleasure, and as you can see, I'm not in my usual studio in the palatial uh, Holiday Inn. Hopefully, the Wi-Fi will hold up. Um, I want to start off by wishing everyone a really happy International Transphobia, Homophobia, and Biphobia Day. It was decreed by this internationally, and of course, the Governor of Canada was kind enough to uh, to endorse this on behalf of all Canadians today. So if you haven't enjoyed uh, that official day today, I hope you've all gone out and, and done that. Uh, our good friend Josh Alexander, if you know who that is, this is the young guy with the red hat who's out there, um, uh, you know, protecting children from drag queens. Uh, in honor of the auspicious day today, uh, he was arrested by Calgary police because he was on the streets handing out Bibles, and uh, after, before he, he could finish handing out Bibles, he was actually accosted and beaten up and assaulted by uh, these friendly, what? peaceful trans people uh, before the police showed up in cowboy hats to arrest him and cart him off. That's 17-year-old oh, no. Josh Alexander, high school student. So that's how he spent his international transphobia, uh, uh, homophobia, and bi I don't even know what biphobia is, Chris. That sounds like uh, grandma's glasses. Biphobia, well, yeah, but, but uh, what, what exactly, when, when did we start having days to celebrate being scared or 
supposedly being scared of things. What's oh, next? Yeah. They Did just we get an arachnophobia day? Well, it's, uh, I mean, the truth is, and this is a big part of the problem why uh, Alberta Prosperity Project exists and is so necessary, as you say, is because the government in, in Ottawa is is insane. Um, they're, they're tuned into uh, an insane anti-human ideology, which I'm going to go into more detail tonight about. And, uh, and they just make these decisions on behalf of us and decide that uh, these are the things that we shall endorse. But whenever you see phobia on the end of a word and it's used by government, it's actually uh, it's an oblique attack, an indirect attack on somebody else. And in this cool. case, yes, in this case, it's on those of us who, are, who happen to be uh, Christians or those of us who, ha who happen to think that it's not a great idea, or at least it's totally an unproven and really risky idea to have uh, men who think they're women uh, dancing around in skimpy outfits uh, doing sexual dances for children. Uh, so so that's essentially what it is, whether it has Islamophobia on the end of it or transphobia or homophobia. Um, it isn't about fear. It's about persecution of people who don't who aren't subscribing to the correct group think. We can call yeah, it woke or anything else, right? You know, even even worse than that is somebody like me, I get lumped in with the, the trans phobia whole, whole thing. I'm not scared of trans people. I'm not scared of gay people or bi people or any of those people. Uh, I, have, I have friends who are in, in those categories. I have friends who do drag competitions. And, right. you know, I'm not scared of any of them. Um, I'm certainly, I certainly don't think that, uh, you know, you know, drag performers and trans people are conflated all of the time these days. They're two separate things. They're, yes. it, it's, a, it's a different issue. I'm not scared of any of it. What I am scared of is society feeling like it's okay to bring in sexualized activities to be shown to our children. It doesn't matter if they're straight or bi or trans or if they're drag performers. If they're doing sexualized activities in front of children, that shouldn't be allowed. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I would probably go to an adults-only drag show because... It would probably be fun, but that doesn't mean, you know, that I think that that should be something that we put in front of children. I, I've gone to this strip bar in the past as well, but I wouldn't expect strippers to go and read uh, to children in, in libraries. So this whole idea that those of us that don't agree with that are scared of those folks is completely ludicrous. And like you said, it's nothing more than a tool used by government to try and divide us so that people like Josh get beat up by these groups mm -hmm. who have been convinced that people hate them simply mm -hmm. because they're a Christian. Right. It's sick. Yeah. And, you know, bringing this back to, to our discussion and the APP and the election more broadly, um, you know, heavy support for things like drag queen story hour is a uh, part of the NDP platform. It's part of the anti-human, anti-human flourishing. Um, why, well, why would they, why would that be part of their platform? Government is supposed to regulate and legislate, not right. tell us how to, you know, interact with each other great question well, you know the answer the answer actually ties into the topic of my discussion tonight but I, the, the short answer chris is very simple it's about control um it, it, you know we are about freedom prosperity is uh, as i say as people have heard me say many times and when i have appeared and have talked about prosperity it is uh, synonymous with freedom uh, when you're under the control of someone else someone else's thumb there can be no prosperity 
And so really what we're talking about here, and it's a very clear choice in Alberta, and I hope people understand this, uh, it's between prosperity and freedom and control and human misery. And, could, it be, uh, and, and the, could it be that we're so busy arguing with each other over whether or not women have penises that we're mm -hmm. neglecting to pay attention to the bad and horrible things the government's doing? Sure, but it's all part of one, right? The, the, what these people want to do is they want to wipe away all of the traditions, all of the culture that we think is important, for example, as Albertans, that is part of Alberta, the Alberta Prosperity Project. Uh, they want to wipe all that away and they have to wipe it all away in order to replace it with something else and that something else uh, includes things like 15 minute cities for example a 15 minute city that sounds wonderful though Leighton. it wouldn't you wouldn't you just love to live in a city where everything was within 15 minutes and you didn't have to own a car and you could just walk to the to get everything you need wouldn't that be great well if if you could choose to live that way yes it would be the problem is, what about people who, who can't uh, live that way because, uh, you know, for various reasons, um, because their work is, is more than 15 minutes away or the, where they shop is more than 15 minutes away or the schools where, where their kids go to are more than 15 minutes away. If you want to live in a 15-minute radius of their homes, I think that's wonderful and they should have that choice. What we're really talking about is the removal of choice. And that's really what the 15 minute city is about. And I'm going to explain more about that in my, in my, in my talk here tonight. So it that sounds, hopefully people understand. It sounds like it'd be very difficult to do that. I mean, the only way it they is. could make us stay within 15 minutes is if they had some sort of surveillance that could tell when we're out of our mm -hmm. zone and then issue us tickets automatically um, through right. some, you know, great big centralized uh, computer software, like what China has. I mean, that software doesn't exist. Those yeah. things don't exist, do they? Well, we see the thing we're carrying around the little things in our in our pockets Bingo. and we have the, and we, we take them with us in our cars. And, you know, our cars have onboard computers now, unless you're riding, you know, as you're riding around like like Chris in a 1974 uh, Vega, you know, uh, <laughs> our cars. Can, but, you know, but, you know, uh, Chris, we have uh, in Edmonton, they're actually building the new curbs, the curbs for the 15 minute cities. They're pouring the cement for them. They they've they've done it. It's it's happening. So if you live and, in Edmonton, folks, you're getting you're getting 15 minute cities and the surveillance that we've been getting over the last uh, 10, 15 years for our safety and for our convenience already has the capability to do the things that need to be done to make the 15 minute cities not just a matter of convenience, but a matter of um, what, what would be the uh, not not a choice. Right. So that the cameras right. just so the folks that are watching know. The cameras in your city that you see on every single street corner, usually there's six because they get every angle at every intersection. Those cameras with a simple software upgrade can read license plates and automatically issue tickets. They can read your face. In China, they actually um, they monitor their citizens. And if they do something like litter or spit, those cameras, the, the, the software sees that and it automatically deducts points off these folks' social credit score. And mm. in the 15 minute city thing, uh, I was in Europe and uh, while I was there, there was some buzz about a uh, area in England called Oxfordshire. They were implementing right. the 15 minute zones in, because of climate change. And it talked about how, no, no, it's fine. You can, you can still travel around. You just have to get a permit to leave your zone. And if you just leave your zone without getting a permit, then you just get a fine, but you still have a choice. But 
-hmm. it can go further than that, can it? Especially considering that we're uh, talking about getting rid of all internal combustion engine cars and only going with electric cars. Right. They can be shut off. Right. Just like a digital ID. Right. So that's really what it's about. And that's what I want to talk about tonight is, you know, why the 15 minute city? And so I've actually written something for my book. It's uh, it's called 15 minutes to tyranny. And I'm going to explain why. Um, and people should really think of the 15 minute city as the boots on the ground, the implementation of the crazy mixed up anti-human, anti-human flourishing ideas that are flooding into our country from the World Economic Forum and uh and the united nations right the whole 2030 agenda that we talk about a lot what the 15-minute city does is you know if you can control human beings in terms of uh, what spaces they occupy and if you control their access to resources you've gone a long way to controlling human beings i mean most wars have been fought over over territory resources or religion well you can see what they're doing to religion just ask josh alexander they're wiping that out too, but if they can control where we can move and if they can control what resources we have access to, um, we've, they've pretty much enslaved us. And so that's the, really the subject of my talk tonight. And they also prevent us from doing one of the most important things uh, in society, and that's gathering, right? If we can only yes. gather with folks that are in a 15-minute radius of where we live, that leaves out a lot of folks with different uh, wants, needs, opinions, ideas, mm-hmm. and our collective idea pool is limited to this 15-minute zone and that's incredibly incredibly dangerous and and, right. and on what you said there about uh you know um fighting wars over this stuff that can happen because if you're confused you lose and uh i think it will happen chris i think that's where we're headed wow. i mean you can see this you can see this is what uh black lives matters and, and antifa are doing um, I mean, we, we saw some of the fist fights, no offense, folks at Edmonton, some of the fist fights after the Oilers lost, you know, um, that type that you're starting to see at, you know, Edmonton and Calgary are becoming, you know, like the, like the blue cities in the United States, uh, that because they're being governed in the same way. And, uh, when people are miserable, they get angry and they become violent. And well, Vancouver, are burns against Vancouver each other. down whether they win or lose. Great example. Oh, yeah. Great example. And uh, and actually, I was just at an event recently with uh, Dr. Daniel Nagase, who was raised in Vancouver. And he, he goes back there to Hastings and, and where he grew up and he can't believe he can't even recognize it. It's not even his city anymore. You know, Vancouver is becoming like is becoming Canada, San Francisco. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's it's very frustrating because you and I we can see where these things are going, right? I mean, and you got a you got a lot more gray matter than I do, but I, I'm just a dumb roughneck from Alberta who came out here for oil money, and I can see where these things are going just from my very limited knowledge of history, and it really mm-hmm. surprises me how many people it they don't even they they don't even, they, see, they don't see any of the warning signs, and right. we're seeing stuff happen like. Some of the things that we're seeing, neighbors calling the cops on their neighbors for having too many people over, these are serious red flags that people should be paying attention to, and they're not. That's Nazi stuff. You know, it's funny you say that because I was just talking today with a good friend of mine. His name is Dr. Alex Pavlenko, uh, and he is a a neurodentist in Edmonton. He's a brilliant man, 
This is a guy who came to Canada, emigrated to Canada 25 years ago from the Ukraine, grew up really under the shadow of the Soviet bloc, came to Canada not even being able to speak English. And imagine folks taught himself to read and speak English, worked his way all the way through up to become a, a dental specialist, built a very successful practice in Northeast Edmonton. His two sons now have gone to university, they are, they are dentists. And, and now he is watching not only his country and his family's home country of Ukraine, it's war torn and, and people are dying over there and he's doing a lot to help them. Here he's witnessing in Canada, the very same thing that he saw growing up, that he, he left everything behind, everyone he knew to escape, just he and his wife came to Canada. And now he's watching the same movie unfold here in Canada. He escaped, he escaped tyranny, to, you know, tyranny to come to Canada and watch the whole thing unfold. And he said the very thing you just said, Chris, he's seen this movie before. He knows what's happening in Canada. Just imagine how heartbreaking it is for someone like that. You know, you, you know, you're out of the frying pan into the fire and the last 25 years spent, you know, educating himself and building a business. And, you know, we're in danger and folks, I don't want to overstate this, but we're in danger of losing it, of losing it all, all the things that we love and enjoy. There's a big choice coming up on May 29th. And if we're going to get to that referendum on independence, you know, we're not going to get it with Rachel Notley in office. So this May 29th is just so, so huge for every single Albertan who loves freedom and prosperity. You know, you know, Leighton, I, I got to say, you know, what, what freedoms have we lost? We live in a free country. Those things can't happen here in Canada. You know what, you know, how, how do you figure that you have the, um, the knowledge or the education to speak to these matters. You don't know anything about the law. What freedoms have we lost? Have you heard those things before? Yes, I have. I hear them and, all the time. Sadly, and when people yeah. say it to me, it's it's hard for me to defend because, you know, I don't have the, the resume that you do. But this has been your entire life, your entire adult life. Yeah. You have spent with, engaged in, in law and watching these things happen. And so you're saying and the, the some of your experiences are telling you that these red flags are real. Oh, totally. Well, ask Josh, ask Josh Alexander. Got arrested today. 17-year-old kid got arrested today for handing out Bibles. Talk to Tamara Leach. Look, look at you, Chris. You went to jail. You went to jail because you wouldn't shut down your restaurant because you put on, uh, you know, drive-in movies at your restaurant because you wanted to encourage people who, who were devastated, uh, who were living under oppressive tyranny. Talk to Pastor Coates. Been 42 days at the Reman Center, you know Timothy Stevens, um, you know all these people. So, oops, did I lose you there? Hey, Leighton, can you hear me? 
Yeah, sorry about that. My Wi-Fi must have glitched out here. Sorry about that. I think we also lost Chris, guys. So, Leighton, if you wanted to okay. just, you know, go and present sure. your information here. And I'm Happy sure to. Chris will join us in any minute here. Okay. All right. Thanks. So, folks, th this is something that uh, I wrote recently for a book of essays that um, I'm going to be releasing. It's called Leftist Lies, Laws, and Liberties. And this particular one is called 15 Minutes to Tyranny. It talks about... Um, the concept of the 50-minute city, which is something that is puzzling to many people. They don't really understand what it means. Why is it a problem? And uh, so this this uh, this the lesson I'm going to present, hopefully, will leave you with a better, more clear understanding of what the 50-minute city is all about and why it is so uh, such a dangerous concept that we really need to be resisting very fiercely. Okay, so everywhere we look, we're told what to think, what to say, what to do, what to watch, even what to buy. We are enslaved as never before in this country of Canada. And more than half of us want to cede or give away what freedoms we still have in the name of security to actually have the government protect and care for us. That's a very common sentiment as I go about the this province talking to people. So, you know, as Chris mentioned, what does it mean to be enslaved? Essentially, it means that we surrender our freedom to choose and with it, any responsibility for the consequences flowing from exercise of our God-given free will. That's God-given free will, folks, not government-granted free will. So at the core of freedom is independent thought. To think independently, we must ignore the mass media, even the ones we follow and agree with. We must fiercely be self-reliant, but also respect each other's independence. Nothing is more refreshing to me than meeting another free-thinking mind like, like Chris, whose beliefs arise from independent thought and actual concern for our fellow humans. Such ideation is free of partisan politics or ideology, but is intrinsically conservative. And it is conservatives, folks, not progressives like the NDP who think deeply about choice consequences, personal sovereignty, and prosperity. So leftist progressives like the NDP are really incapable of thinking in this way. You know, the utopia or perfect world for progressives is global tyranny under a world government built upon the ruins of nation states like Canada and the United States and, and the ruins of human liberty. Now, the best living example of this new world order is North Korea. The people there are, are not forced to support Kim Jong-un. In fact, uh, this is a common misconception. They instead worship him because they mm -hmm. long ago bartered their freedom of thought and human rights for the promised security of roughly 2,000 calories per day in noodles and vegetables. Imagine that. Trading your freedom to think for yourself and your human rights 2,000 calories per day. So when the God Kim speaks there, it is silent acquiescence to each syllable and not just for fear of open dissent. Within a totalitarian state, most people want to agree. We're starting to see that here in Canada. And this is what is mm -hmm. so puzzling and horrifying. You, did you know that every April 15th, the day of the sun, which is the anniversary of the birth of North Korea's founder and eternal president Kim Il-sung, Massive crowds gather, and they're not just bussed in or gathered from nearby apartment blocks. They worship Kim Il-sung and his heirs, not because they are afraid to think freely, 
but because they have lost the ability to think for themselves. And this is precisely what the Trudeau Liberals and the Notley NDP want for Canada, total control over our very thoughts. There was a woman named Hannah Arendt uh, who wrote a book called The Origins of Totalitarianism. And this book is the definitive work on the subject and is an essential component of any study of 20th century political history. Arendt uh, begins with the rise of anti-Semitism, that's hatred of Jews, in Central and Western Europe in the 1800s and continues with an examination of European colonial imperialism from 1884 until the outbreak of World War I. And in her book, she explores the institution and operations of totalitarian movements. movements. Uh, and she focuses on two genuine forms of totalitarian government of her time that people talk about a lot. And these are Nazi Germany and Stalinist Russia, two regimes that are responsible for the, you know, the, the, the killing, the murdering of hundreds of millions of human beings. Arendt, she recognizes that these regimes were really two sides of the same coin rather than opposing philosophies of the political right and left. And so from this vantage point, she discusses the evolution of classes into masses, the role of propaganda in dealing with the free world, and the weaponization of terror, and the nature of isolation and loneliness as preconditions for total domination. So think of isolation and loneliness in the context of COVID-19, folks. Arendt is then able to explain the precise sort of person who is prepared to choose enslavement under a despot, under a Trudeau or a Singh or, or, a, or a Notley, over the responsibility for individual freedom and the natural consequences of your own decisions and corresponding actions. Here's a quotation from her book. She says, the ideal subject of totalitarian rule is not the convinced Nazi or the dedicated communist, but people for whom the distinction between fact and fiction, true and false, no longer exists. Distinction between fact and fiction no longer exists. What about the idea that, uh, that a man can choose to be a woman and is actually a woman? What about trans men or women? Is that ignoring a distinction between fact and fiction? How about the prime minister, our prime minister, who's uh, by, by any, any logical definition an authoritarian leader, how about him going over to Korea and delivering a speech yesterday on the rise of authoritarianism? How about that? How about that losing the distinction, the distinction between fact and fiction? So these threads, these threads are laid bare by Arendt and are woven into a complex tapestry in another book. And this is one I'd strongly recommend what's, people read. What's it's the book that you just referenced called? That book is called the, the uh, uh, Arendt's book is called The Origins of Totalitarianism. Uh, you'll find it anywhere on Amazon. You can get the audio book. There might even be a version that you can listen to for free on YouTube. Maybe but, if Walter um, can just post up a link that we yeah. free people. And there's, a, there's another book that's been talked about a lot. If people are familiar with the work of, uh, of, of, of Dr. Robert Malone. Dr. Robert Malone is the guy who got in trouble about a year and a half ago on the Joe Rogan show for saying that we were under this mass psychosis. Well, Dr. Malone was actually on my podcast, and he explained that he got that idea from another book, which is written by a German guy named Matthias Desmet. That's D-E-S-M-E-T. 
And so Matthias Desmond uh, kind of picks up the thread where Hannah Arendt left off. And he brings this concept of totalitarianism into the 20th century, sort of modernizes it. And he wrote a very controversial uh, book, recent book, for which he's taken a lot of heat publicly. And it is called The Psychology of Totalitarianism. So according to Desmond, who is an absolute genius, folks, uh, we bear witness to loneliness, free-floating anxiety, and fear giving way to censorship, which we have in this country now, and too much of it, loss of privacy, and surrendered freedoms. And he says it's all spurred by a singular focused crisis narrative that forbids dissident views and relies on destructive groupthink. Did so totalitarian... Like this, this is the last three years. Yes, Yes, and and uh, and and uh, this is why I really urge people to read this book. Um, I, I had to read it three three times to just to, to really get a, a, a total sense of what he's talking about. But he says that totalitarianism is not a coincidence and does not form in a vacuum, as you say, Chris. It's it's contextual. It, it was a pandemic, uh, so it arises from a, a collective psychosis that has followed a predictable script throughout history, and its formation gain strength and speed with each generation. So in other words, we're more susceptible now to totalitarianism than the German people were in the 1930s uh, because of you know, technology and the speed of information. So, so from the Nazis to the Stalinists in Russia, as technology advances, you know, government uh, and, and mass media and other mechanized forces, they use fear and loneliness and isolation to demoralize populations and exert control. And this persuades large groups of people to act against their own interests, surrendering freedoms, you know, wearing masks, social distancing, always re reporting their neighbors to the government. And this always uh, is with destructive results. Desmond is a clinical psychologist by trade, just like Dr. Jordan Peterson. And he deconstructs the societal conditions allowing this collective psychosis to take hold. And so by looking at our current global situation and identifying the phenomenon of mass formation, which is a, a type of collective hypnosis, not unlike what has occurred in North Korea that I described, where they actually worship, they worship their leader. Desmond clearly illustrates how close we are now to surrendering fully to totalitarianism in the West. So uh, another, yeah, go ahead. Um, some people are commenting, uh, and specifically, it, her name is Judy. Judy is asking, uh, you know, obviously she knows what you're talking about is is true, and I know as well. And what she's asking is, how do we convince people of this? Like her kids think that she's crazy because of the, uh, you know, the rabbit hole she ended up going down with the with the vaccines. So. How do we convince those who are completely oblivious to these facts that this is happening? And so, what do you what do you think? How how do you, how do we do that? Well, I, I think um, that that's an excellent question, and uh, but I, but I think uh, where we've got to what we've got to do is uh, we have to understand that, um, and this is part of the focus of of. Uh, of my of my talk and of of of, uh, of the work of people like uh, Matthias Desmond, uh, what we're, what's happening right now isn't just happening overnight. You know, there's an old saying, um, Mark Twain once wrote, that a man goes bankrupt uh, for for slowly 
but then all at once, right? So, so what happens is, you know, the, the idea is that what's happening right now isn't just happening. It feels like it is because we're sort of coming to the end of a long process. And it's going to take a while, and I think it's going to take generations, at least a generation or two, to change this. Uh, but our friend Judy has the right idea, and she's in a perfect position to make a change. And that is, we've got to stop looking at the tops of the trees. My opinion is that we've got to stop looking to a Pierre Polivier or even a Daniel Smith or someone like that who's going to come in and have a political change. Even a Donald Trump uh, is not going to be able to change all this. We've got to stop staring at the tops of the trees. We've got to look down at yep. the roots. And that's these, really these what the APP is all about. Just that's it. Yeah. And, you know, this is what the APP is all about. And fundamentally, this is why it's so important, is it's a grassroots movement. It's looking at what can, uh, what, what, what can Chris Scott, what can Leighton Gray, what can Judy do within their own, our own spheres of influence, right? Who are the people we can talk to? Who can we reach? You know, what can we do? And, and the, the what part of this psychology, this mass hypnosis, is to convince us that we are powerless and we're ineffectual and we're weak. And the truth and is, that's a lie. That's a lie. We all have power, but, but we have power together. Many people working together is what's going to make the difference. And so what I'm saying to people like Judy is get involved with your school board. Get involved in your church. You know, get involved. You know, get involved with your kids and what they're doing. Pay attention to what they're watching. Uh, are they on TikTok? Are they? You know, what are they? What are they watching? What are they reading? Um, everybody has a sphere of influence. Some of us are fortunate, and we have a broader reach than others. And and this is why I'm doing. This is why I'm doing the podcast. But, well, what the hell is this guy, this lawyer, doing a podcast? I'm trying to reach people. I'm trying to get this information out there. And and I'm I can't reach everybody. But every single person that I can reach, uh, that can make a difference. It's the same thing with Chris. This is why, you know, he, he uh, you know, he's doing what he's doing. He has been on this mission for the past three years. He went to jail for it. So the, the key is, you know, try to have influence within your sphere and try to try to, as far as possible, propagate the right ideas, right? The correct ideas. The other thing you can do, uh, Judy, is uh, May 29th. Convince as many people as you possibly can who are eligible to do so to vote, because uh, you know a, a, a very serious serious blow is going to be struck uh, for in favor of uh, the World Economic Forum and the people who want all this terrible stuff um, if Rachel Notley takes over uh, as premier of this province. So that was a great answer. I have a little bit more of a pessimistic view. Maybe not pessimistic. I, I like to think of myself as a realist. So Judy. There are times when we go through things like this, and this has happened numerous, countless times all across history, where one group of people can see the truth and they know what's coming. Another group of people, they just cannot be convinced and you can't, you can't make them change their mind. The best thing we can do is what Leighton said, try to, try to make, different, make some influences within our spheres, <clears throat> reach as many people as we can and lead by example. We have to be good examples for those that we're trying to reach. We can't be calling them sheep and asleep and, you know, calling them down because they don't see the world the same way as we do. All we can do is lead by example, set a good example and hope that our leadership will encourage them to come with us. But the right. reality is many won't and right. they will go down this path and there will be suffering and people will die. 
And the other thing that we have to be able to do, and I learned this uh, somewhat the hard way, is we have to be able to focus on the things that we can change, that we can we have some control over, and we have to be able to turn away from the bad things that are happening and focus on ourselves and our families. Because if we right. spend all of our time worrying about all the people that we can't reach, we're going to go mad and we're going to get depressed. And we end up in a really, really dark place. So we have to come to the point where we can accept that we can't help or change. We can't help everyone. We can't change everything. So we, we have to be okay with that. And I know it's right. not the answer that a lot of people are looking for. People want to, you know, they want a magic wand or a, a magic catchphrase that's going to instantly turn people around, but it doesn't exist. And so right. then it becomes our responsibility to prepare for that so that we can continue to be good examples and not become uh, dark, hateful people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so another, uh, another crucial aspect of this inflate, this enslavement I'm talking about is that it's meant to be perpetual. You know, we, we cannot be captivated only momentarily, rather we have to be controlled constantly. So, so those who are woke refuse to think in terms other than race, class, and sex. And so they think only in these terms and they insist that everyone else does. And in this way, the, the, the progressives are willing, they're obsessive thralls, slaves. Woke ideology offers them, and this is, this is its attraction. People wonder, why are people woke? Well, this is why. The woke ideology offers people a socially accepted, safe way of thinking. So once an individual becomes woke, in other words, that they fully support privileging certain intersectional victim groups over white heterosexual males, then they can think no other way and by definition are fully captured. So I'm going to mention another book that I strongly recommend. It's called The Diversity Delusion by an American author named Heather McDonald. Again, she's just brilliant. Uh, She's written another great book called The War on Cops, by the way, which explains why uh, people want to defund the police. Anyway, Heather McDonald argues that the West is in crisis from the university to the workplace. She says toxic ideas first spread by higher education have undermined humanistic values, fueled intolerance, and widened divisions in our larger culture. So our great authors like Chaucer and Shakespeare and Milton are all considered oppressive and imperialistic. Western history and culture are terrifying tales of tyranny. Professors who correct grammar or spelling or employers who hire based upon merit are branded as racist and sexist. Students emerge into the working world believing themselves defined by their skin color, their gender, and their sexual preference. And that oppression, that oppression based upon these traits is their lived experience, their own truth. Speech that challenges these orthodoxies is silenced by brute force, just like what happened to Josh Alexander today in Calgary. So McDonald argues that the root of the problem is belief in this systemic racism and sexism, which which metastasizes, which is like a cancer uh, that drives this diversity bureaucracy in society and academia and media. And so these diversity commissars, the people who, the fact checkers on Facebook, people like that, they denounce meritocratic standards, uh, ones that are based upon uh, achievement uh, and effort and hard work as discriminatory. Uh, And they enforce hiring quotas and they teach students and adults alike to cast themselves as perpetual victims. This is why we have presidents of universities getting called out for pretending to be indigenous people. Why would somebody want to pretend to be, you know, a discriminated against group? Well, because it's actually an advantage group. 
from the Me Too mania that conflates flirtations with criminal actions to implicit bias and diversity compliance training that sees racism in every interaction. Some of you might have had to take these mandatory uh, diversity courses. I know I did just to, just to continue as a member of the Law Society. Uh, McDonald argues that we are creating a society of narrowed minds primed for grievance and as such are enthralled. And hence we have International Homophobia, Transphobia and Biphobia Day. So this can only be opposed. Yeah, this can only be opposed through a renaissance or a rebirth of, of classically liberal, open-minded, free inquiry and expression by which everyone can discover a shared humanity that is based in objective reality. Not, not you know, your truth or my truth, but the truth. So in place of government control, freedom implies self-control, right? Food, shelter, clothing, transportation, and medical care are necessities, and we must pay for them and, and choose what we think we need out of what we can both earn and afford. Common sense, right? Obviously, obviously, different levels of earnings will offer different standards of living, and government must not step in to seek to equalize them. Once government yeah. begins to provide for necessities, the incentive to work and to work hard, especially, is totally lost. Society as a whole suffers from the resulting stagnation, inflation, and shortages that we are now experiencing. Not only will the inspiration to work be lost, but rational choices regarding capital allocation and spending become misguided. People buy lottery tickets instead of groceries. Many billions of dollars have already been appropriated for green energy or proxy wars, and many hundreds of billions more will be squandered through foolhardy initiatives or outright graft and theft. History shows that when we are free to allocate our own money, we are much more thrifty, much more wise, just as we are more attentive to maintaining our own houses or, or, or other property. So freedom is the basis of human flourishing. But millions of Canadians seem eager to cash in their liberty for censorship, a false sense of security, and paltry handouts from a centrally planned economy. Increasingly, yes. we are told what to believe, what to say, what to do, and we face fines or even imprisonment for daring to defy state diktats. The consequences for uttering what the left considers hate speech are very real. In many cases, this involves loss of employment and, and ostracism from, from society. Um, anybody who's been kicked off Facebook or Twitter for a while knows what this is like, let alone getting fired from a job because you, know, you wouldn't take the vax. Yet so-called hate speech might simply mean a statement that there are fewer male engineers than male ones, which is currently a one to six ratio, by the way, or a denial that Indian residential schools were genocidal death camps. These statements are factual, not hateful, but the left considers them improper and even criminal. So essentially, freedom means the right to decide for yourself. Canada has become an enslaved society in which via media, schools and government, we are subjected to relentless propaganda. We can extricate ourselves, we can free ourselves from this control by imposing a blackout on woke media and government propaganda. You can choose to do that. But we have to be prepared to walk alone, to pray and to, me and to meditate, to read the best books, uh, including the good book, which I highly recommend, and to tune out television and 
social media, and especially rampant government propaganda. It's with discipline and self-sufficiency uh, that it remains possible to live a relatively free existence, although that is changing. As we are now judged, as Chris pointed out, we are now beginning to be judged based upon our use of pronouns and willingness to affirm woke fantasies of race, gay, and transgendered privilege. There may be no end before millions of Canadians are imprisoned for our refusal to accept progressive lies, like what the ones the NDP are spinning. All that smoke down in Calgary, folks, is coming from Rachel Notley. At that point, even for those who attempt to maintain personal sovereignty, freedom will have lost most of its meaning, and only a scant few will survive to know the meaning of freedom. One of the ways in which globalist governments seek to limit our freedom is through reformation of how we organize ourselves into communities. So this is getting into boots on the ground. Why the 15-minute cities? An emerging argument against single-family zoning is that separating housing from other uses forces people to drive to shops, work, and other destinations. So these woke urban planners, they want to redesign neighborhoods so that people must walk to most of these destinations, thereby reducing our CO2 footprint. Must. Even have a name for it. He said right. must walk, not may. That's, must. That's it. That's it. And, and, you know, they even have a name for this. This is the 15-minute city, meaning that everyone can reach all of their primary destinations within a 15-minute walking radius. Now, that sounds good on the face of it. it. Sounds rational. But once you start to look deeper, not so much. Edmonton recently announced that it will pursue neighborhood development plans aimed at creating a community of communities or small towns in our big city where residents can access... Yeah. A documentary on that. Yeah. yeah. It was called we're, The Hunger Games. Yes, that's it. So residents can access everything, everything they need within a short distance from home. But the idea is not one of passive development. It would involve city development plans, zoning, bike lanes, multi-use paths, etc., reflecting the desire to have modestly self-sufficient enclaves within cities and green-friendly transport options between parts of the city. And folks, they're oh, already pouring the concrete for the curbs uh, to carve up Edmonton into these 15-minute zones. I know you didn't vote for this, uh, the Edmontonians, but this is what you're getting. So where yeah, this, this, isn't, this isn't policy brought forth by Edmontonians. Like, this is no. policy that came from external organizations that have that's, no accountability. That's exactly right. That's exactly right, Chris, and that's a great segue. So, so that, that, that begs the question, where does this 50-minute city come from? Well, it, it owes its origins to a guy named Carlos Moreno, you know, who sounds like, uh, like, uh, you know, like, a, like a mamba musician or something. But actually, he's a Colombian urbanist and professor at Pantheon Sorbonne University. So ostensibly, apparently, the idea is meant as an alternative to continued urban, straw, or urban sprawl, uh, which strains infrastructure from roads to sewers to schools, and necessitates a car to get around the city. It is also linked to urban proposals for building better public transit and reducing dependency upon cars as the main mode of transit for city dwellers. And this idea, and this won't surprise you folks, the idea accelerated during the COVID-19 pandemic, when our lives shrank and cities experimented with new ways of moving people around, including locking us in our homes. For example, a paper published by Moreno and several other authors notes the increased use of bicycles for transit in Berlin, 
New York, Beijing, and Paris, which led to calls for more permanent cycling infrastructure in those cities. Now, this 15-minute city uh, uh, concept thus far has only been seriously attempted in Paris, France. They have a, a leftist mayor there named Anne Hidalgo. Uh, and she's been the mayor there for nearly a decade, and she made transforming Paris into a 15-minute city a key platform commitment during the 2020 city elections. And this is where uh, Edmonton's mayor Sohi, where he got the idea when he ran in 2021, uh, do as the French do, they say. Uh, during the pandemic, Paris created a series of Corona pistes or bike lanes, and Hidalgo vowed to make them permanent during the pandemic. She also told Parisians that they need to get over the, the idea. This is a quote. They need to get over the idea that they continue to get around the city via automobile. She says, we must forget the crossing of Paris east to west by car. The city needs to evolve. Pardon my, my bad French accent. Uh, but European cities are, are already, if you've ever been over there, I know Chris was just there, you'll probably agree with this. European cities are already quite walkable, particularly compared to North American ones. This is because... Their construction largely predates the invention of the automobile or motorways. Yeah. Uh, so in, in the UK, you know, the cities of Canterbury and uh, Canterbury and, and Oxford, where Chris was, are both experimenting with the idea, but are being met with considerable public resistance. More on this later. Uh, from the perspective of urban planners, there are many steps to take that would reshape cities. So Edmonton Mayor uh, Sohi, in his campaign document from the 2021 election, which uh, was essentially are on the city's website now, and they were just on the screen, pointed to several of these. The first would be changes to zoning rules restricting businesses within a community. A 15-minute city would require zoning and development changes, such as better walking and cycling infrastructure, to facilitate these 15-minute journeys. Now, according to a U.S. study, the Americans make only 12% of their daily trips within 15 minutes of their homes. So that means 88% of where they're going, where they need to go in a day, is outside of a 15-minute zone. So that's according to data. Yeah. So I've noticed some comments about people saying stuff about taking up arms and people need to hang and this sort of thing. So I want to remind everyone that's watching this that the Alberta Prosperity Project has a clear path to prosperity. We have a solution for this. There is no need to um, to take up arms and do those sorts of things. And we don't advocate for that at all. There are other groups that, you know, I'm sure you could find a group that that's what they think that has to be done. But that's not what we're about. We've never been about that. We, we will never be about that. We are about peaceful solutions, legal, lawful solutions that don't leave anybody behind and don't result in any kind of violence. And once Leighton gets through what he's talking about, we're going to tie this in into the solution that we can and we will achieve if we work together. So please put that out of your minds. Um, this isn't, you know, this isn't a discussion where we're, we're talking about storming the capital. On the contrary, all we're talking about here is using the, the current laws to become the most prosperous and free either province or country on the planet. And we'll get back to that later. So just uh, cool your jets, you know, everyone. Yeah, that's a great point, Chris. And, I, and I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up. And I'm actually grateful that people are, are making those comments because I think it's good that people are angry. I think we suppress anger too much in our society. 
I think I think it's a it's a mistake to do that. I think anger is good, but as Chris said, it's the way that you channel it. So let's say that people get out into the streets and start rioting and burning things and breaking things. Is that going to is that going to uh, encourage or discourage uh, governments from imposing fifty minute cities? Well, I, I think I think it's going to be a license. That in fact, I think that's part of the plan. They want Absolutely. people to get angry and violent. They want them to start smashing things and breaking things and rioting because that's so going to be an excuse right. so, they, so that they can use the, the, the violent force of the state, which is justified, uh, in order to suppress freedom and lock people in their homes, just like right. they did during COVID. Uh, and, and, and folks, they will do it again if we riot. If you don't believe me, I mean, the Freedom Convoy was not even a riot. It was a peaceful protest, and they used force to quell that. What do you think they would do if we got out in the streets and started smashing and burning things? So as Chris says, we've got to be smart. You know, we've got to be, we have to be wise as, as, as serpents, as Christ said, and in the way that we channel our anger, we can do it effectively. We can do it wisely. We can, we can, we can, you know, you think of like a, a laser, that we can focus that, that light so that it just burns through uh, a diamond. Uh, we can do that if we're wise and if we, if we, but it's good. I like the anger. I like the indignation. Uh, that if if you are getting up angry by what you're hearing from me, that means I'm reaching you. So I'm glad for that. So anyway, let's get and back to this. So the, one, go ahead, Chris. One more thing. Sorry, for the folks that are um, annoyed by the laughy face on this post, the, whoever is doing that, they're here all the time, and I know who they are, and I could ban them from the page, but I don't, and I do it for one reason, because they're listening. So, whatever, laugh all you right. want. Put up some likes, put up some loves, uh, help us get this uh, live stream up into people's priority on the news feeds and just ignore it. Yeah. I, and I'm, I'm, I'm no advocate for censorship. So people want to come on here and, and disagree or mock me. They're free to do that. Um, but as I was saying, according to a U.S. study, Americans make only about 12% of their daily trips within 15 minutes of their homes. And this is according to a very large study collected from 40 million mobile devices. So, so that's a lot, okay? That's a pretty big study, uh, pretty good sampling of the population. The 40 million, that's, I mean, that's more people than there are in Canada right now. So, so, but such data is more limited in Canada. But if you think of Ottawa, Ottawa is a, is a sprawling city if you've ever been there. Whereas in Vancouver, 75% of residents live within about a 50 minute walk to a grocery store and about 99% are within a 15-minute bike ride, according to a recent Simon Fraser University study. So supporters of the 15-minute city naturally include the World Economic Forum, the WEF. They say that it would be more convenient if we did not need to drive across town to pick up an item or get your kids from daycare. They point to all sorts of metrics, you know, that it would be more a more social city with community nodes and parks. I would also be a more active city and thus healthier. And of course, most importantly, with those lower carbon emissions, right? We're, 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 we're protecting ourselves from the sun monster. But in a paper published uh, recently, urban analyst Alain Berthaud has demolished this leftist fantasy of the benefits of 15-minute uh, cities. He notes that Mayor Hidalgo made the 15-minute city part of her 2020 re-election campaign and continues to promote it while in, off, while in office. But Berthold looks at the city to see 
he looks he actually got into the city deep into it to see what it would take to actually achieve this objective right so like everything else the world economic forum talks about you know there's the fantasy and then there's the reality so Bertold begins by calculating that a person can reach about 740 acres in a 15-minute walk on city streets in Paris. Based upon the average population of the municipality of Paris, as opposed to the urban area, there's an average of 77,000 people uh, uh, living in any given 740-acre zone. And within that, there are an average of 59 bakeries and 197 food stores. He says there are also enough elementary schools to be within 15 minutes of every part of the city. So what do all these numbers mean? Well, what they mean is that there's no need to create a 50-minute city because Paris effectively already is one. So why then does anyone drive in Paris? Berthaud notes that Paris has 1.6 jobs for every worker with more than 51,000 jobs within a 50-minute walk of typical residence. Uh, but many dwellers drive to work and more than half take at least 30 minutes to arrive at their chosen destination. They're choosing that. Only 12% take 50 minutes or less to get to work. So even though, even though Paris is a 50-minute city, about 88% of the people are not living according to this 15-minute city uh, dicta, which is just like the United States. The problem this presents is that although there may be 51,000 jobs within walking distance of one's home, that does not mean that your particular job is within that 15-minute proximity. Commuting comprises less than 20% of trips to the United States, and it is probably similar in France. It's probably worse in rural Alberta, for example. This means that when people decide where to live, their work location is not necessarily a controlling or even a contributing factor. Then the same logic no doubt applies to other possible destinations. For example, there might be 197 food stores within 50 minutes of where we live, if you live in a, in a, big, in a, in a city, big city. But that may also be expensive. And so we would prefer to save money by shopping at a supermarket that is several miles away. So what Bertold rightly fears is that when cities achieve the dream or nightmare of putting everything within 15 minutes of each resident, but we continue to drive anyway, cities will impose draconian regulations to penalize driving. Now, before COVID, this would have, this would have sounded nutty, right? But we've seen this movie before, folks. Uh, this this would be the sequel, right? Uh, and in fact, on one view of the matter, you know, the COVID-19 lockdowns were a preparation for this. So Mayor Hidalgo of Paris, for example, plans to make it illegal to drive through central Paris. And many of you have probably seen movies, either aerial uh, uh, pictures of, of France or, or downtown Paris with all the cars going around and, and the big traffic circle. Well, you won't be able to do that anymore because France is also forbidden even forbidden large booksellers from selling at a discount so as to preserve the viability of small bookshops within walking distance of everyone's homes. Now, this is totally against freedom and also capitalism, which tends to work in favor of consumers. This is totalitarianism brought down to the constituent community level, restricting the choices that we as consumers can make about where we can go, where we can shop, and how we get there. It presumes the right of government to restrict our individual freedoms for the sake of securing what is deemed to be the best for the broader community. Remember, 15 days to flatten the curve, right? Remember, get the yeah. vax to save your neighbor. Okay, this is this is all just repackaged stuff, folks. Everything old is new again in advertising. So here again is the great trade-off 
surrendering freedom for security that only the state, the government, can provide. So the 15-minute policy would seem to be much more difficult to implement in North American cities. Other than Manhattan, no other city in America has Parisian-level densities of more than 66,000 people per square mile. Uh, urban American densities uh, average more like 2,400 per square mile in 2010. And, and I think in Canadian cities it would be, be roughly similar, which is not nearly dense enough to put all the services we need within 15 minutes walking or, or cycling distance. So even if ah, half of the – so here's the rub. If even if half – to the same spot. That, that's right. But that that's it. So that's why we have to rezone everything, right? We restructure everything. That's that. Here's the rub. Even if half of the supermarkets, for example, were perfectly distributed across the urban landscape in, say, Calgary, Edmonton, more than 50% of the population would still not be within a quarter hour of one of them. So this is one of the reasons why urban plan planners have such a mania for increasing urban densities. Because It's because no matter how hard we try, we are not going to double urban densities, especially when doing so, we'll fail to eliminate driving anyway. So as urban economist Everett Glazer has aptly stated, uh, this entire concept destroys opportunity by restricting freedom. He says this, the 15-minute city should be recognized. And if, folks, if you forget everything else I said tonight, I hope this one sticks to your brain like, like lint on Velcro. The 15-minute city should be recognized as a dead end, which should, which should stop cities from fulfilling their true role as engines of opportunity. In other words, being in a 50-minute city defeats the whole purpose of being in a city. And there are other problems with the concept, one of which is ghettoization, uh, such that towns within cities would limit interactions between various communities, producing slums. We see this particularly in, in the United States, but in some of our bigger cities, we're starting to see this now. We talked about Vancouver, uh, Chris and I were saying, and it's in Calgary too. I saw some pictures of Calgary that are really, really shocking. Another is the risk that it hollows out parts of the city. The downtown core of many cities are quite dependent upon commuters for their vibrancy. So as the pandemic really illustrated, a whole host of problems arise when people are not visiting a part of a town. See Portland, Oregon. And you know, uh, those of you who are from Edmonton or remember Edmonton before the ice, ice district, I mean, that part of Edmonton had become a real ghetto. And when you go there now, you see how vibrant that ice district has become. It's become a hub. Um, and you know, when you start to ghetto, when you, when you start to prevent people from, from, you know, congregating in these areas, um, then you, you, what you do is you ghettoize parts of the city. So some critiques, uh, however, go beyond the merely practical problems with the 50-minute city. And, and, you know, this is where we start to envision mandates prohibiting residents from leaving their neighborhood. This sounds crazy. Well, the government but, you know, doesn't I saw, impose mandates, Leighton. Oh, of course. But, you know, this, this sounds a little bit crazy. But, you know, uh, I saw a video of, of, uh, of folks in Oxfordshire in England uh, who were stopping people on the road to check to see whether they were in the correct zones. Uh, so, so this is already happening, folks. And, and in Edmonton, critics have expressed justifiable concern that such a proposal would bar people from traveling to certain parts of the city and that they could be forced to spend 90% of their lives within their own district, 
all the while being closely monitored and as Chris said, socially graded for carbon emissions. So there can be little doubt that measures such as fines and fees, which we saw during COVID, fines and fees for traveling between zones are designed to make it cost prohibitive to drive and to leave your neighborhood. For example, as I mentioned in Oxford in the UK, there are fines for driving cars between neighborhood zones and the Paris driving pan has, has gone into effect this year. Jordan Peterson, Dr. Jordan Peterson, who's actually going to be in Alberta, I hope if you can get out to get out and see him. I'm going to see him in Red Deer on the 22nd. He's going to be appearing in Edmonton on the 24th and I believe in Calgary on the 25th. Uh, he said this, he recently tweeted that while the notion of a walkable city is lovely, it is a perversion if taken too far. This is what Dr. Peterson says. You know, people can say what they like about Dr. Peterson, but he's always interesting. And I, I tend to pay attention when he when he writes stuff like this. He says the idea that idiot, tyrannical bureaucrats can decide by fiat, that is without any public input, where you're allowed to drive is perhaps the worst imaginable perversion of that idea. I love Peterson. He's great. Anyway, in Alberta, the furor over 50-minute cities has, be some, has become so great that politicians in small towns where the Trudeau liberals are actively promoting the concept have had to come out and say that towns like Olds, a population of 9,000 people, will not be broken up into districts with a transit scheme like Paris. Folks, I, I, was, uh, I spoke uh, recently in Cochrane, and um, I, I, I met a man named Ron Voss. He's just an incredible guy. He's a retired university professor. And uh, he has a great blog called Dog with a Bone. Check that out, Dog with a Bone. And he has done, he's gone around the horn, deep, deep, deep in, in, into this 50-minute city idea. And I used a lot of his ideas in the preparation of this paper. And folks, you would be amazed. Nearly every, every municipality and town in Alberta has signed on to the World Economic Forum and is adopting these 50-minute cities. Cochrane, the city of Cochrane is doing it. My own uh, city of Cold Lake is doing it. Many of these municipalities, you have no idea the extent to which this is being adopted without your permission or, or understanding. And, and seriously, a, a, a town the size of Olds uh, needs, needs to be rezoned. Uh, 9,000 9, people? I mean, come on, folks. Uh, this has nothing to do with rezoning or 15-minute cities. It has to do with controlling populations. So the best argument to utterly reject the entire concept of the 50-minute city is that its main support emanates from that hothouse of evil anti-human anti-humanity known as the World Economic Forum. So here's the truth about it, folks. In a December 2022 paper entitled "How Europe Can Reshape Its Cities to Boost Vibrancy, Resilience, and Climate Action," the real purpose of the 50-minute city is revealed. So this is from an actual paper, folks. If you don't believe me, and I hope you do, but go on to the World Economic Forum website. And look this up. This is a direct quotation from, from what's on there. And by the way, when you visit that website, you're going to notice that almost everything on there has, is, has become uh, the, the, the same, same policy that the Liberal government is imposing on us. Uh, it, you can put a template over it. It's, it. It fits perfectly. Anyway, this is what it says in the World Economic Forum's website. Efficient space use enables 15-minute cities. Improving urban forms is one of Europe's most powerful levers to mitigate the climate crisis. Europe has committed to reaching unprecedented goals, including a 55% reduction 
in greenhouse gas emissions by 2030, and its leadership by example is more urgent than ever, yet another climate conference with weak agreements. So these deranged authors, it's up on the screen now, you can see it. Thanks, Walter. Uh, these deranged authors then go on to state that efficient and balanced spatial redesigns enable shorter commutes and the use of active transport, significantly reducing the 23% of Europe's emissions caused by urban mobility of its residents. The reduced dependency on parking and roads also frees up land for green spaces, which can alleviate extreme summer temperatures by 2.5 to 6 degrees Celsius, reducing heat oh. island effects of dark Goodness. sealed surfaces, such as roads common in unbalanced, unbalanced cities, they call it, folks. They even claim that this will, get this, they claim that this will, quote, literally save lives. Laughable. Now, as they usual, always say that literally save lives. We yep, are literally there saving it is. lives. See, folks, if you didn't if you didn't believe me, it's right on the screen. The direct quotation. As usual, as usual, there is no scientific support for any of this climate scare bugaboo, any more than there is data showing a connection between human CO two emissions and climate change. But that will not stop the global elites from using the sun monster to confine us to our homes restrict us to our zones, take away our cars, and fine us or even imprison us for non-compliance. We will own nothing, we will no longer be free, but we will be saving the planet. That is Agenda 2030 in a nutshell, and that is, the ND, that is the NDP agenda in a nutshell, folks. For those of you who are playing this, this game at home, uh, who are hopefully going to vote in May 29th, that is their agenda, okay? Meanwhile, Justin Trudeau and his ilk will continue to fly to Davos each year on private jets for the annual World Economic Forum Conference at which the globalist elites will devise new ways to enslave and depopulate our allegedly dying planet. While Only. spending $300,000 on escorts. Yeah, <laughs> allegedly. And here's an answer to Judy's question. Only the individual and collective exercise of our God-given free will can extricate or free us from being enslaved by such godless tyranny. And I'm going to close here with a quotation from Voltaire, who was a famous French writer, Enlightenment writer. And he said, well, he said it in French, but this is a translation. He says, it is difficult to free fools from the chains they revere. So that's my presentation on 15-Minute City Spokes. Thank you very much for listening. And uh, I would be pleased to answer any questions or anything that, that, that Chris wants to pitch at me or that people want to present in the chat. Thanks for listening. There's always times where I want to interrupt you and ask something or make a comment, but then I'm like, oh, no, what he's saying next is interesting. I, I want to hear more, <laughs> so I never say anything. But uh, I'm going to get Walter to throw something up on the screen that I just sure. I sent him via text message while you're talking. Sure. I got a kick out of this. Guess who's advertising on my live streams? Wow. Gil McGowan and the Alberta Federation of Labor is advertising anti-Danielle Smith propaganda on my Facebook page. <laughs> but you know what's even funnier? Isn't Gil, isn't Gil McGowan the guy who really likes to give everybody the Trudeau salute? Yeah, he's the guy that I actually <laughs> shook his hand and I told him I was going to dissect his speech and make him look like an idiot yeah. when I saw him at the ledge grounds. Well, since, but you the know, funny since, part about uh, this is he's yeah. actually paying me for this. 
That you know, that I, is, I get paid turn, for him turn putting that ad fair, on the page. Turnabout is fair play, and and good on you for accepting his money, Chris. Well, I don't you have know, a choice. Facebook picks left, it, hey, but I just got left. This money is still green, right? Um, but you know what's interesting about Gil McGowan? He's uh, with the Alberta Federation of Labor. Uh, you know, since you know, since uh, Madam Notley is always throwing rocks at, at Danielle's windows, uh, we should say that um, in fact, uh, Mr. McGowan is part of the same organization uh, to which uh, Madam Notley's husband belongs, uh, yes. and that you know he's in a very he was in a very high ranking, high paying position within that organization. And they were actually using money uh, from from that uh, organization uh, to to actually campaign against you know the premier of, of the province in yep. favor of, of Madam Notley. And although uh, the the Notley gang would never admit wrongdoing, uh, and although this person did not have the integrity to resign as they should have, uh, I noted that they did step away from the position. Which is about as far as you know, as much as we can get uh, from the from you know from these leftist people who have no. So Lou, Lou Arab is his name, public. folks. For yes. those of you that are wondering, his name is Lou Arab. Now I want to okay, point something out. Okay, since you're naming names, I was. Yeah, let's. I, I want people to know who these folks are. I was going really, high. You're going low. Okay. All you need to do to find this out is go and look and who who sits sure. on the provincial board of the NDP. They're all union bosses. Yeah. And but, you know, could there be a more unions, obvious? Conflict of, of interest, though, Chris. Pardon me. Yeah, I mean, I, I know you're not a lawyer, but I mean, I, I think anybody can see. I think Stevie Wonder could see if that is a conflict of interest. Oh, absolutely. Now it gets worse, and actually, it gets better, folks. So these unions are supposed to advocate for labor, right? That's the whole purpose of a union. But what they're doing is they're upping your union dues. And they're using those union dues to support the NDP. And then in turn, the union bosses are getting high paying positions on the NDP provincial board of directors. Like if this is literal mafia crap and people are buying into it and, and, and then they're taking the union lists allegedly and taking orange signs and plunking them in people's yards who are members of unions. And worse than that, they're sending out emails saying in not so many words, if you don't vote NDP, you won't get your raise. So the corruption, th this whole thing just stinks to high heaven. So when I saw the AFL, Mr. Gil McGowan, advertising anti-Daniel Smith propaganda lies on my Facebook page, I, I, I the irony is just astounding there look at that is daniel smith a threat albertans have too much to lose do you know a threat when you see one yeah i do it's lying friggin commies wow. like gil mcgowan and the provincial board of the ndp who uh sit as union bosses and take people's money in order to pursue their political yeah. uh desires That's you, know, you know what's interesting to me chris about the people who uh who say that they're afraid of of daniel smith well we don't know what kind of premier daniel smith is going to be we have a we have a small sampling size but we sure as heck know what kind of a premier rachel notley's going to be oh right i, I mean we've seen we've seen that movie uh and anybody who's been to downtown calgary lately you know uh sees the devastation that that she wrought uh you know the debt the the high unemployment and really folks um the 
the state of our, the decrepit state of our healthcare system, which was revealed during the COVID-19 pandemic, and which is still manifested now, is all Notley's doing, okay? That was all Notley's doing. Um, that, that was, that, that's the reason why things were so bad. It was Notley's people. Dina Hinshaw was, was a, a Notley appointment. Verna Yu, who is the head of the AHS, thankfully long mm-hmm. gone, fired. Uh, but th- these, were, these were her people in place. And, uh, and, and you know, uh, they're the ones who, who really, and, and if you want to understand uh, how bad COVID would have been with Rachel Notley at the helm, go back and look at her tweets. Go look at her Facebook page. It was page. horrendous. Um, we know that, re- listen, we know what Rachel Notley is. And anybody who... Yep. Who thinks that 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 is not going to be uh, just just you know terror 2.0 uh, is really really kidding themselves. I I have a hard time understanding the the degree of popular level of popularity of of the of the Orange Party in this province. I, it really baffles me. I really me as well. Um, I, During you know, Rachel Notley's reign of terror, they were renting out office space in Calgary for free because the uh, property management companies could no longer afford to pay for the utilities and the taxes on the buildings. Yeah. That's how bad it got in a, in a city where uh, the energy industry occupied 80% or something like that of office yeah. space. They were giving it away for free. That's how bad it was. And you know, they're waiting and to come back. Chris, they're, they're waiting they to come back. They are, they are, but they're not going to come back. If, if not, is, is in power. There's no way. No, absolutely yeah. not. And you know what? I don't, I don't even know where my place would be in Alberta because if somebody shows up at my door with a needle, there's going to be a problem. You know, I'm I'm not a violent man, but don't try and kill me, please. Thank you. <laughs> and these are the kind of things they want to do. Like, as a as a conservative, my views are different than liberals, and I don't even call myself a conservative anymore. Although I lean more to the right. Um, yeah. I I don't really care what other people want to do with their lives. I wish them the best. I hope they're fine. But what I realized throughout this, the last few years, and specifically becoming in the spotlight, this 15 minutes of fame, that's like the 15 days to flatten the curve, just perpetual. Um, Not that I'm famous, but I mean, I'm still in the spotlight, so to speak, (laughs) is that the people that are on the far left, they don't just disagree with me. They actually want me dead. They've said so much. They really? were upset when I got hit by the train and I, and I didn't die. When Carrie and I got hit by the train, they said, oh, man, we're so disappointed. We thought there was going to be a couple more dead okay. free dumbers. <laughs> when did you yeah, get hit by a train? Difference. What? You didn't know that? No. Oh, yeah. Back Are we in talking January, like the crazy, the crazy a... train at, at no, karaoke? with the with... train. Like I was getting wow. pushed down railroad tracks and I could reach out and touch the train with my left oh, hand. Oh, my gosh. That yeah, I had a bunch of broken terrifying. ribs. Wow. It was terrifying, wow. yeah. But it opened my eyes to a lot of things. Number one, um, I, I realized how dark of a place I had got into and how everything was affecting me because from the moment I realized I was going to get hit by a train and wondered how the death was going to happen, like how long is it going to be, What's am I going to get run over, am I going to get knocked out, what's going to happen? Um, during that short little time period of like a few milliseconds, the weird feeling that I had was relief. I was relieved mm. when I realized I was going to die. And that's like, I'm not suicidal at all, but
but when you're exhausted and you're watching these things unfold and you're hearing people's stories of pain and suffering all the time, I mean, it's exhausting. And, and maybe if you, if you accept that something's happening to you that you can't control and you're just relieved that it's out of your hands, it makes you think about what you're doing in your life. And then watching the people's response afterwards, there was an outpouring of support and, you know, concern for Carrie, both Carrie and I, but there was a few people, the internet trolls that constantly attack things on our Facebook page that said that they wished we had died. And there's a lot of people like that, that side, they do not believe in human values. They don't believe in the sanctity of life. As a matter of fact, if they think that you're using too much CO2 or too much energy, or you're not buying into their narrative, they would be just as happy if you were dead so that they could be unchallenged. Well, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, Klaus Schwab's book, uh, the great reset, uh, also the, he has another one called the fourth industrial revolution. Um, it, it calls for the elimination of, uh, seven eighths of the world's population and and elimination says the death. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And you know, Bill Gates has, has said repeatedly unabashedly that he thinks the maximum, uh, population of Europe should have is 500,000. Now, I don't know how a computer peddler, um, who's a college dropout, um, understands something that is really immeasurable. And that is what is the optimum level of, of, uh, people we can have on this planet. What I do know is this planet has been along for a really, really long time. And it's demonstrated a proven track record of being able to regulate its own population, which is why yep. we don't have T-Rexes on Main Street. Mm-hmm. And adapt to, uh, there's always a response. When humans impact the planet, the planet responds in a specific manner. If we yeah. produce, if we need more energy, we advance technology, we use more energy, we emit more CO2, the planet greens. And the green stuff on the planet eats the CO2 and provides us food that we so desperately need. Like there's yeah. a, it's a, it's a, uh, what do you call it? A cause and effect. And it's certainly not what Bill Gates thinks where, yes, here we go. Yeah. It, uh, you know, the planet is a lot smarter than us. Right. Um, but you know, here's something I want to share with people. Uh, so this is from, so so recently, recently, uh, Dr. Tam, who is a self-appointed expert in everything, but actually is actually not even a very good doctor, it appears, based upon her, her abysmal track record with COVID. Um, she published a 105-page manifesto on climate change. This is called Mobilizing Public Health Action on Climate Change in Canada. So you oh. see how they did that, folks? They turned yeah. climate change into a health issue. And so this is what she says. She says, according to Tam... Without swift and urgent action, climate change poses catastrophic risks for present and future generations and the livability of the planet. Remember what the World Economic said? Remember what the WF said? That we have to do this to save lives? Okay. So this report that she just filed claims that cities like New York and Shanghai, uh, neither of which are in Canada, by the way, may be underwater within our lifetimes. Well, you know, this this kind of tweaked me because I'm a bit of a historian, Chris, as you know. And so I went back through my uh, my old uh, annals, and I found a 1932 headline. And for those of you keeping score at home, uh, 1932 is uh, about 91 years ago. And this is from the uh, 
the the Jefferson City Post Tribune in Missouri. This is a, a headline from the 2nd of May, 1932. Melting glaciers would flood Earth's big cities. Just raise the average temperature of the Earth two or three degrees, and you could bid goodbye to all the big cities on Earth. Glaciers will melt and oceans will rise. One could still be dry above the 155th floor level in cities with skyscrapers, but all about would be the bounding waves. London, New York, Paris, Philadelphia, Los Angeles, Washington, and yes, Shanghai would all be gone. So you tell me, you tell me what this is all about. Is this truth? And here it gets even better. She says, she says, look, uh, not only, not only do we have to do something to protect ourselves from the sun monster, she says the severity of climate change effect upon health is influenced by structural systems of oppression, such as uh, yes. colonization, racism, ableism, and heteronormativity. Yep. <laughs> so citing examples from the American Journal of Public Health with titles like we need environmental health justice research and action for LGBTQ plus people and queering environmental justice, unequal what? environmental health. Yeah, this is this is this Those is the government of Canada, folks. Fired. Yes, this, this is why this is why Alberta has to get away from these people. She says Tam laments the climate adaptation efforts have not focused sufficiently, not enough, upon the experiences of the LGBTQ group. But hey, she expands upon her incredible intellectual genius to lecture us about the law, arguing that concepts of justice are also important for climate action. So she proceeds to argue for indigenous environmental justice. Heaven only knows what that is, and I'm an indigenous oh lawyer, goodness. which requires a concurrent focus on indigenous knowledge systems, legal orders, governance, and concepts of justice. This focus upon justice also includes prioritizing youth indoctrination so that our kids all become crazed climate activists like gruesome Greta Thunberg. So you can see, folks, this climate change is not just about uh, it as an economic policy. This is about this is the key. This is the big kahuna for governments. Uh, the sun monster, it, it, it's perfect because. This, as long as our planet is alive, we'll have the sun. Um, and it's if, if the sun, which is the life-giving energy source for our entire solar system, uh, is actually the, the, the source of all of our problems, that this goes on perpetually. And climate, under this sort of umbrella of climate action, it, it governs everything. And so governments are going to have to be in every aspect of our lives. You know, there's a famous quotation I'll just read to you from H.L. Mencken, who's a brilliant American economist. Um, he wrote a great book called Our Enemy of the State, which you should read. It's on our reading list on our podcast. So in 19, he, he said this in the 1930s. This is going back like 90 years. He wrote this. He said the whole aim of practical politics is to keep the populace alarmed and hence clamorous to be led to safety by menacing it with an endless series of hobgoblins, all of which are imaginary. You see what it is? The, the, the government of Canada is going to create the, the, the emergency, the fake emergency. They're going to create the problem which only they can solve. We saw this with COVID. 
We're seeing this with climate and we're seeing this with racism and all this stuff. And meanwhile, everything they do just makes it worse and worse and worse. We keep surrendering more and more freedom to them. They get more and more control. And with it, what do they do to us? They enslave us, right? They and this is us. why I say the APP, the Alberta Prosperity Project, is the most relevant thing in Alberta because we're teaching people and educating them that they are the solution, not the government. But Leighton, I just had a very depressing thought. Have you ever seen Demolition Man? Yes, great movie. Great you've movie. seen it? Yeah, I'm very sad to say that Sly Stallone has gone kind of woke, which is kind of sad. But anyway, he has, yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the scene with the, the virtual reality lovemaking? Yes, yes. So I think that's going to happen. I think the government's going to say, you need to, no more fluid transfer, no more heavy breathing, because you're expending all of this CO2, and you can only use your VR headset from your computer. I think it's coming. It's going to happen. Well, look at look at Meta. That's that's what uh, I mean. And, and Mark Zuckerberg. It is happening. Very, yeah, he's been very upfront it, about this. Uh, he wants I saw, people to live in a, in a virtual in a virtual reality. Yes. Uh, and and the way they market that is that is superior to actual reality. Of course, it isn't. It never could be because it's unnatural. I'm glad you brought that up because I uh, I'm a I used to play computer games when I had time to think about playing computer games. I don't anymore. I mean, I try, but I never get into it. Anyway, I use a, a platform called Steam where you download games and you can save them in your library or whatever. And I'm going through the suggested games and a virtual reality, I don't know how to describe it, but it was an adult-oriented game in which you just went and did stuff with people or people's whatever and they're advertising like physical attachments that you plug into your computer so that you can live this Hugh Hefner life without ever leaving your home and they're encouraging this to combat climate change yeah it's here because we are because we are a pestilence the, the the theory the whole theory comes down to that we are a pestilence upon the planet we are the enemies of the planet in fact we're an important part of the planet uh, did you know, Chris, uh, people don't realize this, we have more green spaces uh, in the world today than we ever have in, in, of course in we recorded do. history. Okay? Of course so, we do. You know, and, and, uh, and the whole climate uh, catastrophe, it, it, not only is CO2 not bad for the planet, uh, it, it, if you read, for example, uh, you know, Dr. Patrick Moore's books, uh, this is a, a brilliant Canadian scientist who was one of the founders of Greenpeace. He broke away from them when they got all nutty uh, and, they, and they started lying to people. But he says, actually, CO2 is the life-giving, the life-giving uh, part of our atmosphere. Uh, the, it, it drives everything. It, it feeds plants. And uh, without this fundamental chemical reaction called photosynthesis, there would be no life on this planet. And, uh, and in fact, uh, he even in, in, in one of his books, he pauses the theory that if, if uh, we had not discovered fossil fuels and started burning them so that there, there was more CO2 in the atmosphere, that right now, right now, we would be in an ice age. We, we, the, the earth was cooling uh, around the time of, of 1800 and then about 200 years ago or so. We discovered fossil fuels, coal, the like, and started burning them and releasing the CO2 in the atmosphere. 
And so Dr. Patrick Moore, uh, who is one of the most brilliant minds on earth uh, in terms of uh, actually understanding climate science, uh, says that we are actually saving the planet by burning fossil fuels. Anybody that believes in net zero should want to burn more oil and gas because that was organic matter at one point mm -hmm. that received its energy from CO2 that was at one right. time in the atmosphere. And now it's being, it's held, it's trapped underground. And if we don't release it, the plants can't eat it again. So you could consider that net zero. Now, people mm -hmm. are asking us, Leighton, we've identified the problems. We've, we've talked about these things. What's the solution? What are we going to do about this? And why well, would we talk yeah, about this on question. the Alberta Prosperity Project page? Well, we're talking about Alberta Pro Prosperity Project page because um, this is um, part of Alberta Prosperity's project, uh, its, uh, its mandate. Its goal is to raise awareness and, and to educate the public. That's a huge part of it. In fact, on one view of the matter, the APP is a, is a think tank. And uh, that's why, you know, people like, uh, you know, Dr. Modry, uh, you know, and Jeff Rath and, and, and myself, uh, and, you know, Tanner and Day, uh, people like that are part of it. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't be here. You wouldn't need people like us to bring forth ideas like this. And the reason why we're talking about this today is because the 15-minute city is one of the boots-on-the-ground methods by which the federal government is implementing World Economic Forum policies in your own communities, okay? And, and, and this is a uh, most people understand the concept of the Trojan horse, right? So municipalities are under provincial jurisdiction, right? But the federal government is coming to municipalities and offering them money in exchange for implementing 15-minute cities. They're going to places like Olds with a population of 9,000 people and saying, here, small town ravaged by COVID, here's some taxpayer money that we're going to pay you if you implement, if you participate in this in this federal government initiative to become a 15-minute city. Well, as soon as those towns get on the federal government dole, who's controlling them then? So this answers the question, why are we talking about 15-minute cities? Because it's a sovereignty issue, okay? And we're up against this federal government that wants to control every single aspect of our lives. And Alberta Prosperity Project is about prosperity, human flourishing, and freedom. It's about uh, you know, restoring and rehabilitating our sovereignty and our, our cherished institutions. And so we're talking about the 50-minute city in this context because this, folks, this is happening right now. If you're hearing me right now, this is probably happening in your own community. People on your town council and your city council, they've, they're already implementing this stuff and you don't even know about it. So what can you do about it? Guess what? You have a voice. You can go before your town council and your city council anytime at their next meeting you can get a group together and go there and protest and say are you are you implementing a 15 minutes that you can get the minutes of their meetings and go through you can go can go and pull their policies and this is how we do it folks this is boots on the ground this is how you exercise your right to democracy and your freedom but you've got to get off up out of your chairs you got to get off you know <laughs> stop watching podcasts and actually get out there. Don't and do stop something. watching the podcast. Right? Keep watching. Yeah. Never mind. Go keep on. watching podcast. Uh, but you know, well, keep watching mine and, and Chris's show. But um, but you know, you know, you gotta get off your your duff and get out in the community and, and do something. And you can actually, and you know, you can make the biggest difference. Getting back to that great question that Judy asked, which is kind of runs sort of a theme that's run through the whole show. 
um, this is what you can really do. You can make the biggest difference closest to your front door, right? You can make a difference in your kid's school, you know, in your community uh, athletic association and supporting local business, right? Uh, and get and going to your town council, your town councilman, and your MLAs, and say, "What is this 15-minute city? I don't want this. I don't want this world economic forum stuff. Get this out of here." But in the bigger picture, Take folks, it to the streets. That's it. The the bigger picture in the APP, we've got to have this referendum. Um, and and, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. and this is Layton, you, know, you said this is a federal government problem. So why don't we just elect good MPs and and just have them tell the federal government that Alberta doesn't want to do this? Well. My good friend Michael Wagner, uh, who's spoken at APP events many times, has a better answer for that. The short version of what he says is that you know, folks, it's a loaded game, and it's not that that's never going to change. Um, if we're going to govern Alberta for Albertans, we've got to do it ourselves, and uh, we can't expect that uh, you know someone like Pierre Polivier is going to change it. I I happen to think, no offense to Mr. Polivier, uh, I think he's a very uh, intelligent guy and, and he really wants to be prime minister but I see the difference between Pierre Polivier and Justin Trudeau as a difference between Coke and Pepsi and not only that but uh, unfortunately folks Alberta does not have the voice it needs to have in federal politics and federal government and parliament to stop any of these things the and entire never will. the yeah, entirety never of will. western Canada yeah could vote conservative. We vote conservative, and I don't even know what conservative federal government means now. We could all vote, let's, PPC or Maverick, more freedom-minded federal parties, and it would not make a lick of difference because the East and Central Canada have more votes and more voice than we will ever, ever have. Mm -hmm. And those folks, the, 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 the two million bureaucrats that live in that area, they love this stuff because it benefits them tremendously. And they're not going to stop it because Alberta doesn't want it. Um, yeah. The current government, Daniel Smith, you know, they're trying to take a stand with the Alberta Sovereignty Act saying, no, federal government, you stay in your lane, we'll stay in ours according to the Constitution. But unfortunately, the Constitution is also skewed to benefit Central and Eastern Canada. So really, uh, while I'm glad that that step is being taken, I see it not as a solution, but I see it more of as a necessity to show people that we cannot do the things we need to do under the current structure of the constitution. Mm -hmm. And we need that referendum so that either we change the constitution so that Alberta is benefited and has a better deal, or we declare our independence and withdraw from right. um, a confederation that wants to yeah. go down an anti-human path where you own nothing and be happy. Because I really don't believe Albertans want that. You know, uh, folks, you if go. the people who are listening yeah. to this want uh, maybe a more detailed answer to this, um, I'm going to put a shameless plug in here for the uh, June 17th get-together, APP get-together in, in Bowdoin. Dr. Modry is going to be there, and uh, this guy is off the charts brilliant, and he's great. And also Michael Wagner, who's uh, an author, has written many books on the topic that we were just discussing, and he can give a much more uh, cogent answer to the question than than I could. Uh, so uh, I hope that uh, you know and some other real great uh, lights there. I see well, they got some guy named Chris Scott there. What's he going to say? Corey Mer Corey Morgan, uh, who um, I haven't met yet, but I really admire uh, his his work. Uh, very very courageous, uh, outspoken journalist, and I tend to agree with most of the stuff that he writes. And of course, my good friend Jeffrey Rath is going to be there. 
And, um, you know, he, he, Jeffrey Rath and Chris Scott are the guys that always get, always get a standing ovation at these things. I'm a little bit bitter about that. But if you've ever been to one of these and you've heard them speak, you'll understand why they're, they're just, they really get people out of their seats. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, really, I encourage people to come and check this out. I'm going to be there uh, and uh, look forward to uh, to seeing uh, Chris and the other speakers there as well. You know why I, I speak at APP events, Slayton? I, I lived my whole life doing things that I thought were, you know, well, they were beneficial to me. I wanted to work in the energy industry because it was good money and I like the work. It's very fulfilling. But I always had this thought in the back of my mind, like, when I'm gone, what's what have I left? What have I done? Did I contribute? Did I make a difference to absolutely anything? And now I see what's happening in the world and in Alberta and in our communities. And I watched the APP come up from, from basically nothing, from some people that really wanted to make a difference. And I realized that I'm very passionate about this because I've realized that if we get this information in front of Albertans, into every Albertan, we educate them as uh, for uh, of the uh, with the 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 reason why we need this referendum, um, how it works, and what happens after, what the benefit is. We've done something amazing and and important, and it's going to benefit people for decades to come. Like this isn't just a oh we want to elect a new government thing. This is a, we want to change the way the world is working in Alberta and take it off of a path to destruction and put it on a path to prosperity. That's huge. And so I'm very, very passionate about this. And uh, I hope that it continues to mm-hmm. come through when I'm, when I'm speaking yeah. at their events. It's a great, As a matter yeah, of fact, I, I, besides I making burgers, I'm more passionate about this than just about anything else. Yeah. And you know, Chris, um, the, the reasons for uh, and the urgency really for for sovereignty for Alberta um, are even greater than they were when you know a year or so ago when when I got involved with APP you know just just to give you an example we talked about 50 minute cities you know the the, um, the the evil policies that are being implemented by this federal government just have no end now, they've got a bill coming in uh, that uh, I believe I believe it's built C36. And get this, folks. It's going to make French the primary language all the way across Canada for what? every federally yes every federally regulated government agency. It's going to make French the primary language. You imagine Why? that's going to cost an absolute fortune. It's going to cost an absolute fortune because the because because. Uh, it's a concession to Quebec because Quebec has brought in long ago, they brought in a Bill 101, which made French the primary language in Quebec. And the federal government wants to uh, prevent the, the, you know, the uh, 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 Quebec government from continually lose, using the notwithstanding clause. And so the only way to fix that, in their view, of course, this is a federal government, you know, killing a, mosquito with uh you know with a machine gun is to impose french upon the entire country now understand also okay um what what we're dealing with with justin trudeau is um 
you know, uh, uh, you know, as uh, as inept as he is, um, you know, he's been very consistent in one respect, and that is, he said, and you folks can look this up. There's a YouTube video. He says his his most terrible but most truthful things in French, and he said in a in an interview in in 2011, 2010, before he became the leader of the Liberal Party, that that Quebec were the most important people in Canada, that that only the the prime ministers from Quebec. Uh, were the only good prime minister prime ministers we, we ever had, and that the country of Canada exists for Quebec, and uh, he's been very very consistent with that, um, and because the whole country has been run in the time that he's been there, and arguably throughout the whole history of Canada, has been run for the primary benefit of Quebec, and so uh, uh, you know where we're going to have in this country is a proliferation of the French language. It's going to cost an absolute fortune. It's going to cause all kinds of unrest, and it's con it's going to continue the persecution that's being waged by this government against English Canadians, uh, both inside Quebec and and throughout the country. And um, it's going to make uh, you know cities like Edmonton and Calgary look just like Ottawa, and that is the goal. That is the goal is to impose their will uh, to have the same culture, monolithic non-culture, existing all across all across the country so they have these these things are all in place and they're coming they're coming at us just like that train that ran into poor chris and carrie and uh and we we've got to get off the tracks and the way to do that is the referendum and folks our only chance to get to the referendum you know some of you don't like danielle smith uh, or maybe you're on the fence about voting for her we're not going to get that referendum with rachel notley in office um he she is going to be a a regional governor uh, for the Liberal Singh coalition, that's who she is. They, yeah. That that party is not even distinct from the Singh party, which is not distinct from the Liberal Party. It's a uniparty. It's a unistate. But it does stink. It does. <laughs> but but you know, Danielle Smith, um, she's uh, she is committed publicly uh, to to having the referendum, and and I think if the, we get the UCP government, we're going to see some of the policies that APP supports. For example. Provincial collection of income tax, which Saskatchewan is already committed to. Um, we're going to see some of the APP policies incorporated by this government, and as Dr. Modry has has commented many times, you know, that's 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 a pathway. Um, you know, the Alberta Prosperity Project has Daniel Smith's ear. We're closely connected to them, and and uh, she's looking to the APP uh, for a source of of policy as a think tank. That will find its way into legislation. Remember now, to be, that the Alberta to be Sovereignty clear, Act, yeah, the, uh, the Alberta Sovereignty Act. Just let me finish this point. The Alberta yeah. Sovereignty Act started started as an idea that came from a Take Back Alberta, Alberta, you know, think tank. And so that shows how the openness that she has to these ideas that Notley does not. Sorry, Chris, go ahead. No, that's okay. I just wanted to be very, very clear here, as as a politician would say. Let me be perfectly clear. <laughs> what Leighton just said about uh, the premier, ha uh, APP having the premier's ear, does not mean that the Alberta Prosperity Project is uh, wolf in sheep's clothing. UCP. No, uh, I didn't show. mean to say that. That's we're not, not a political what party. it means at all. What we're saying is, in order to achieve the goal of this referendum, no matter what anybody thinks, the Alberta Prosperity Project will have to engage with the government of the day. We have to. That's the only that's way to part get part of our mandate. It that's, is that's part of our mandate is absolutely. to is to, is to create ideas 
and and to create a lobby, uh, a powerful enough lobby to influence government policy right. to make we, laws that have, benefit Albertans. Yeah, and and we have done that. It's been successful. So yes. a, a conversation uh, that that came up a while ago was, you know, how how can we as the Alberta Prosperity Project work with the government in order to foster the idea of independence? Now that question would be asked if it was an if it was an NDP government or a UCP government or an Independence Party of Alberta government, that's what the question would be. How do we engage with the government in order to accomplish our goal of independence uh, through uh, of prosperity through independence or getting right. a referendum so that we can fix things, right? That, that right. doesn't mean that the UCP, or pardon me, the APP works for the UCP. It means that as an educational society, we realize that no matter who the government is, we have to work for them. So right. to, there are folks out there that still believe the lies that were spread before that this was nothing more than a, a, a tool for the UCP. It's not. I've been with this organization from the very inception. Uh, that has never been the case, not even for one minute. I've never had that concern. And um, I mean, for what the, for what my word means, that, that's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But you, you, you have to acknowledge that in order to do something as with with the magnitude that we're proposing, having a referendum on independence, it will require participation with the government. Yeah. Well, you know, I I don't even have a UCP membership, so um, I, really, I, I I'm not. Uh, my focus is on getting the right policies in place, not necessarily advocating for a particular party. But what I meant to mm-hmm. say is that we have a very clear choice in Alberta. Um, we have a possibility, we have the prospect of influencing government with some of our ideas, some of our, our policies. Uh, with the UCP government, we have no chance with, with the Notley Gang. The Notley Gang are completely oppositional to everything that Alberta Prosperity Project stands for. Um, that doesn't mean that we'll give up uh, if the NDP uh, take office, uh, but it just that would just make our job, I think, a lot harder. Um, oh, I should mention, you know, Chris, before we forget, uh, you and I are going to be together again, uh, I think physically in Victoria. What would that be like uh, uh, for, the, awesome. for uh, the Reclaiming Canada Conference in Victoria? Mm-hmm. If people can make it's it out there, you've been to Victoria. It's just, it's just gorgeous. It's one of the be- most beautiful parts of Canada. And uh, it's coming up there May 26th to 28th. Chris and I are both going to be there as presenters on stage, uh, live and in person going to be some really really smart people that i'm really looking forward to to talking with uh and seeing some also seeing some familiar faces and um you know it it needs your support though i mean if you can go there if you can afford to make a donation uh just to support uh, the reclaiming canada Um, this is a wonderful organization very much aligned with the ideas of the alberta prosperity project uh you know really seeking to restore rehabilitate canada to its rightful place as uh, you know the greatest country in the world, um, and uh, you know there's going to be people from all over all over Canada are going to be there. Uh, so uh, you know please uh, please check it out, and um, if you can donate and support it, do that too. Can you scroll down again, Walter, to the schedule there? Yeah, I'm going to be on three different panels. I'm on activism with uh, Chris. I'm in politics. Uh, and I'm also in law, so I'm like a triple threat. Yeah. Interesting. 
Yeah, that's going to be a good time. And I'm uh, yeah. someone posted on there. Stouffer says Alberta boy turned island boy. I'm an island boy turned Alberta boy. I love Vancouver uh-huh. Island. And Victoria is one of my favorite places on the planet. I'm originally from Campbell River. Well, I grew up in Kamloops, but I spent my teenage years in Campbell River, which was a wonderful place um, to spend my teenage years. And uh, apparently, I'm I I'm I was born Albertan. I just had to transition to a different province to to fulfill my. <laughs> well, there are a lot born. of great people in in BC who are very much, uh, I think, aligned with the APP. Uh, I think at one point there might have been a, a sort of a mission that went out there. I know they went out to Saskatchewan one time. Were you part of that group that went to Saskatchewan, Chris, with Dr. Modry? I uh, was, yes. Yep. Yes. Me and did, did, did they uh, also go Dennis to BC at one point? Yeah. Did you guys also go out to BC at one point, or no? I can't recall. No, but I know there are a lot of people, especially yeah. We were planning to, but I uh, had sanctions that prevented me from leaving the province of Alberta. Oh yes, of course. Yeah, dangerous, uh, dangerous. Uh, how did Michael Jackson put it? Smooth criminal. Smooth criminal. Yeah. Apparently, well, I think it's more, more, more what Maxime Bernier said when he was arrested. The police said, "Do you have any weapons on you, and uh, or anything dangerous?" And Max said, "Just my words," <laughs> or something like that. In <laughs> yeah, I was his lawyer. I did his bail hearing. He wasn't lying. Oh, did you? I didn't yeah. know that. He's uh, and you know, ironically, um, he's he's now running in a Manitoba by-election, and I think he's what? got a great shot. It, yeah, he's running in a Manitoba by-election there, and if he gets wow. into Parliament, oh my goodness, there's going to be a cry of freedom all across this country. Can you imagine Mad Max in Parliament? Wow, during question period. You know, he he's not oh. perfect, but I really like the guy. Like, there's a lot oh, of people that, yeah. for what they say, they don't like him or they think he's a uh, whatever, but I had a lot of conversations with him, and he's a real—he's the real deal. He's he a is. real guy. He is a really Made genuine mistakes, guy. Of course, but he, yeah, he really means what he guy. says. Yeah, I had it as my as a guest on my podcast, the Shameless Plug, and uh, spent an hour or so with him. And uh, yeah, just a, a really brilliant guy, very principled. Um, he shares a lot of my, you know, my own values. I'm not very much aligned with the Conservative Party of Canada, frankly. I think that they are a left of center party. They've been pulled so far to the left by the Liberals and the NDP that really they now occupy the space that uh, that the Liberals used to, right? Yeah. And uh, the only we need some balance within our 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 political spectrum, and I think if the PPC could gain a foothold, because they're they're the only party that really has uh, what I would say traditional conservative values. Um, and uh, we we need some balance because everything has shifted so far to the left that every you know you know there there's really no no uh, no balance there. There's no truly conservative voice. Um, when you when you look closely at the Conservative Party of Canada at their policies, they're really not much different. It's sort of liberal light. It has been for a long time, and I happen to think that's why they keep losing. And I don't know why but- they haven't figured that out, but uh, I think that's why they keep losing and they will continue to lose. Uh, if the reason that, that happened, attack. the reason that the conservative party became not conservative is more uh, reason why we need to pursue Alberta independence. Yeah. The reason the conservative party became the liberal party in sheep's clothing of Canada is because they were forced to pander to the, the bureaucracy and Eastern and Central Canada, 
mm-hmm. who are largely leftist. And they knew mm-hmm. if they didn't do that, that they couldn't form government. So they had to somewhat abandon their Western base and focus more on the, the Eastern leftist base and change their policies to suit. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. always the way it's going to be. Anyone that makes government in this in this country has to win the East, at least Ontario or Quebec. Yes. And and if if we're ever going to change that, we have to either have better representation in the West or be our own sovereign nation. Yeah. There's no other way. I, I don't happen to think uh, that Justin Trudeau will be the leader of the Liberal Party during the next federal election. I think his popularity is so low. I, I don't think he has the integrity or the courage to risk losing. So I think what he'll he'll do with his popularity so low, I think he'll step aside and, he, and he'll just sort of, you know, exit stage left. And just walk leave, out of parliament the party. like he usually yeah. does. He'll leave the party to take the hit, which is, for those of us who are old enough to remember, is exactly what Brian Mulroney did to his party back in 1993. He was so dreadfully unpopular. And uh, he stepped aside and he let the poor, poor Kim Campbell uh, take the full shotgun blast for him. And uh, so she was prime minister for a cup of coffee and it destroyed her political career, unfortunately. But she was a very talented lady, very intelligent lady probably would have been a really good prime minister but i predict that's what justin trudeau will do because his popularity is so low right now it's, i think he's down to 27 percent of the of uh of, of the polling thinks that he should who are these 27 uh, percent and what are they smoking hard to say but you know that's really low i mean for example um uh joe biden's uh approval rating in the United States is uh, is down around 35%, and that's a record low. Uh, they haven't had any president that low in public opinion since they started recording it. So, so you know, 27% is, I mean, sounds like a lot, but it's, I mean, really you're saying 73% or three quarters of the country think that you, you do not have the the moral authority to govern. And that's, that's well, pretty bad. It says a lot about the state of our country, actually. You know, sniffing, children's hair during press national press conferences oh, no. doesn't really get you a he's lot of a, popularity yeah. but he's 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 really he's very ill I, I i honestly it's very hard i mean if you want to see how ill he is um go back and even look at the presidential debates he had with trump in 2020 and listen to him then and then listen to him now he can't even string a sentence together uh, he doesn't even know yeah, where he is in fact there's a, there's a there's a really there's a really gut-busting impersonation that uh, that President Trump did of uh, Biden recently. He just <laughs> nailed. If you go watch it on Twitter, it's from about two or three weeks ago. Yeah. Go look, go go look that up, folks. It's absolutely gut-busting. I mean, it's sad to see a man. I mean, he's literally dying before our eyes. Um, you know, I'm no doctor, but I mean, everybody. I think everybody can see what dementia looks like. And he's he's really getting into the late stages of it. I, I really feel sorry for him, and, and um, but but I feel worse. I, mean, I think it shows what it demonstrates really, and what is terrifying is that a government uh, like the United States can be run uh, without an active brain, and I think that's equally true of Canada. But there's a reason why. It's yeah. because governments are largely run by the bureaucracy behind them. Yes, and Biden's no very very true. Very, very true. That's and that's the and that, that's and, why know, people that's hate the Trump, the bureaucracy. Yeah, right. 
And it, that's why it's a, it's a bit of a mistake to to focus upon leaders, because in in a real sense they're sort of lightning rods for what's really going on. And I think you nailed it, Chris. Uh, this bureaucracy, this administrative state, you know, the, this blob that's running everything, um, and running everything badly, and not for the benefit of Canadians or Americans, uh, or citizens of of, of any country. Um, that's that's the real problem. That's that's what we have to get away from. And that's really what APP is all about. There really is only one way to fix that, and that is foundational law that prevents it in the first place. We don't have yeah. that in Canada. We yeah. have the opposite, actually. Yeah. We have new constitution, our, so, new bill of rights. Yeah, but like you know, those things are open to interpretation by activist judges. And the difference there, and, and not only that, but in in a democracy, you can make law and change law to benefit the bureaucrats, which we see all the time. In the United mm -hmm. States, they have that to some degree, but as far as I know, their constitution is, uh, it is rock solid-ish and based upon unchangeable laws that, you know, mm -hmm. in our democracy, if we decided that all people who wear paps blue ribbon shirts should be incarcerated because they're wearing those shirts, majority rules, I go to jail. In the United mm -hmm. States, can't happen because it disagrees. It con it's contrary to the foundational law that the democracy is built mm -hmm. on. And mm -hmm. and uh, I would I think we need that here. We need that in Alberta. We need that in Canada. And earlier on, somebody mentioned something about breaking up Canada. And Leighton and I have talked about this at uh, different Alberta Prosperity Project events. The idea that the Alberta Prosperity Project hates Canada and wants to break up Canada is completely false. On the contrary, we have realized that if one province or more doesn't stand up against the tyranny that the federal government is imposing on all the provinces, nobody will. When one province stands up and leads by example, just like one pastor standing up and leading by example, or one restaurant owner, or one gym owner, others stand with them because they want to do what's right they just think they're alone in thinking that they can change something. So we want to be that province. We want Alberta to be that province that stands up and sets the example for the others and shows them that, no, there is another way. You don't have to go down this own nothing and be happy. Mm -hmm. You can take all your sovereign your sovereignty that's guaranteed you under the Constitution, and then you can demand that the federal government um, stay out of your areas. You can do that as a province. Mm -hmm. But until one mm -hmm. does it, none of the other ones will. So we mm -hmm. kind of have a duty to do it. Mm -hmm. You know, there's uh, uh, the, the people who say this about, and I, I mean no disrespect to the people who say this. I understand why. I mean, I was raised to be a proud Canadian too, but this whole thing sort of reminds me of something in the criminal law that's called battered, battered woman syndrome. Battered woman syndrome is actually a defense uh that 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 women could ad advance in a criminal case if they killed their husband because over a period of time the husband had been so abusive that that the wife or the spouse was in constant fear of of grievous bodily harm or death in other words that they lived in constant fear that that their husband was going to kill them and this becomes a syndrome and i think what we have in alberta is is battered province syndrome and the people who want to stay within canada i think are are not are not are, are trapped and people wonder well why you know they, they see you know for example women who would get abused by their husbands and why doesn't she leave 
well, it's syndrome. It's a psychological syndrome. And I think some of the people who want to hold on to some vision of Canada, which no longer exists, which might never have existed, are ignoring the fact that we are just being battered and abused. And if we don't get away from uh, this dangerous, abusive power in Ottawa, it will destroy us. It will destroy our freedom. It will destroy our province. It will destroy our children. It will destroy our grandchildren. Um, and people who are nostalgic for, a, for you know, the old Canada um, need to understand that, you know, that uh, this is a really a situation of survival. You know, it's, it, you know, if we don't, if we don't, uh, if we don't cut loose, if we don't get away from this, we're, we're going to drown with it, you know. And Chris is right. Yep. There is, if there is a hope for Canada to save it, it's Alberta and Saskatchewan and Manitoba as a Western coalition. If there is a hope to, to, to change, and I think that hope is faint, actually, uh, even with a Pierre Polivier-led government, in, because I think they would behave. Um, it's very unlikely that a conservative government is going to hand back all of the power that the liberal government has acquired over the last eight years. Governments don't tend to hand back power uh, peacefully to the populace. That is, uh, that would be an, an historical anomaly, not the rule. Uh, and so, you know, the likelihood that we can restore Canada as uh, the true North strong and free uh, within the current constitutional structure is, is exceedingly unlikely. In fact, I just, I don't believe it's possible. And I, like I said before, realist, right? I would say if you love Canada, if you love this country, you should be willing to stand up and be counted in those Albertans who who demand that the federal government start treating the provinces equally as was intended when this country was formed. If we if we if our if our federal government observed the sovereignty in each of our provinces and allowed us to live the way we were supposed to. We're, we're supposed to be culturally different and um, distinct in different provinces and be okay with that. We're supposed to appreciate it and allow each other to chart our own courses, develop our resources, administer healthcare, health, uh, education, all of those things, but work together on the broader things. If we could return to that, there'd be no problem. If, if we don't demand it, how do we expect to get that Canada back? We have to demand it. So if you love Canada, you really should um, be willing to stand up and, and be counted in that referendum on independence. Agreed. Well, well Mr. Host, where to? Whither and where to? Are we at the end of the show? Or are we near the end yeah, of the beginning? Yeah, we're, I mean, we're an hour over, but... What's an hour between friends, right? <laughs> this it's turned into always... a little bit of a bonus episode of the Chris and Carrie show. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There no, Carrie. <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, you know, we're two hours and 12 minutes into it. And I got to say, Leighton, the conversations with you are always, they're, they're fascinating. <clears throat> I don't fall asleep at all through them. They're very interesting. <laughs> and uh, you always make me think about things a little bit differently, which you've done this episode. And I'm sure you've done that for the folks watching. So thank you very much. Apparently the uh, brief biography 
that you provided uh, was nothing in comparison to having an actual, actual conversation with you. So kudos to you. Well, thanks very much. Uh, it's been a pleasure uh, having this platform to speak with people. And uh, I hope everybody gets out and votes. If you folks have questions about anything that you heard on tonight's webinar, um, please reach out to the Alberta Prosperity Project, www.albertaprosperityproject.com. Um, there are links in there where you can send in questions, you can contact people, all those sorts of things. If you haven't already, or, or, or if you haven't become a member of the Alberta Prosperity Project, please consider it. This is a, this, like I say, this is probably the most relevant thing that's happening in Alberta right now. More relevant than politics, even though politics may be more exciting right now. And you, you really should support it. Get your membership. Donate if you can, because believe it or not, these things do cost a pile of money. If you are a, were a member and your membership has lapsed and you've chosen not to renew your membership because you had some concerns about the way things were going or you're not sure if APP is going to continue or whatever, please take my word for it. And uh, believe me when I say the Alberta Prosperity Project is the only, currently, the only viable solution for this province. We are. Because no matter what politicians want to do, the province needs to be educated into why they should support that polit those politics before they will support them. And that's what we want to do. Please get your membership. Renew your membership. Tell your friends. Um, reach out to your, uh, your chapter leaders and organize events. Let's hit the ground running right after this election and get back on track and get moving towards um, a referendum on independence in this province, Either, no matter what government we have. So uh, that's my ask from you all. And um, yeah, I hope you enjoyed the webinar. And thank you, Walter, for working behind the scenes tirelessly yes. to have Thanks, the cool Walter. screen changes and presentations. They're our technical genius. Oh, hey, that looks like uh, shameless plug. Whistle Stop Cafe, Neptune. folks. I've I've been there. The food is great, terrific, and you know, Chris was have... fat in my food, and it was still good. I would never do that, but I would sweat <laughs> in it by accident. Just kidding. I don't sweat in your food. Um, we have some really really good cooks at the Whistle Stop Cafe. We have some awesome staff. Uh, some of them have been there for for years. Uh, I that this place, the Whistle Stop Cafe, is much more than a business to me it's 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 my life now right yeah. like this place the whistle stop people drive from all over the province all over the country uh to stop there they'll drive from ontario to a, a, a couple stops from they're on their way to the yukon you from know ontario chris they stop it, the it may stop. be in the, it may be in the process of becoming an historic site in canada it, it may be, be. Or it, may, or it may just wither away to nothing and never be significant for anything ever again. I doubt it. But I love this place. I love our food. And so does my staff. And you can see that and you can taste it when, when you come and you try it. It's not just a, a greasy spoon diner like some would have you believe. I mean, look at that picture. That's steamed broccoli, steak Oscar, and some garlic mashed potatoes that we made. You don't expect this stuff from... A little diner in the middle of nowhere. You expect food no. that's good enough to get by, but that's not what we're all about. Yeah. And, and not know, Chris, only that, please, please don't ever start using those robots like McDonald's is to, to make. No, food. I, I, I will not. I will not do that. But the other thing that we don't believe 
and uh, just good enough to get by is oh, look at that conversation or political views or anything like that. We don't believe in is good that enough. Eggs, is that Eggs Benedict, Chris? Thanks, uh, my, wife, yeah, thanks my, my wife, My wife, Jennifer, loves Eggs Benedict. She, I got to bring her there. I, she hasn't been there yet. When I came, I was with uh, my father-in-law, Jack, if you remember. My wife wasn't with me, but I'm looking at that Eggs Benedict right now, and uh, my wife would be all over that. She loves Eggs Benedict. So. Well, you know where we're at. And that's yeah, one of we'll our uh, breakfast there. We're come there. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Walter, for putting that up there. I appreciate it. And thank you, folks, for watching. Thank you for supporting the Alberta Prosperity Project. Uh, check out Layton's podcast. There's a lot of them, but it's way better to binge watch his podcast than it is to binge watch Shameless or something like that. Because you're going to learn <laughs> something from his podcast and you're going to be brainwashed from, from TV. So check it out. And uh, keep your stick on the ice, as one of my friends would say. Nice. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me here. It's been a, been a pleasure as usual. I look oh, forward to see you in, seeing you in Victoria. Yes, absolutely. Maybe you'll get to meet my dad. Oh, I'd love to. Shake his yeah. hand. Okay. It's very liberal. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Trying to convince him. Yeah. All right. Night, folks. Okay. Take care. <laughs>